0: Meeting of uh, let's see January the first no January the sixteenth twenty twenty four um, if you could call um, call the order and call roll to- roll call excuse me
1: Councilmember Kasdan. here Councilmember Richards here Councilmember Kiriaco here Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes martin here and Mayor Perotti
0: I'm here okay. Um, this is a time for the opportunity for the public to address anything that's on our closed session. Do we have any speakers?
1: There are no speakers at this time.
0: Okay. Ms. Garibaldi, would you like to report us into closed session?
2: Thank you, Madam Mayor. The City Council can convene in closed session to the matters listed on its agenda. The um, conference with labor negotiators will not go forward today, so The City Council will convene in closed session pursuant to the other two items listed on the agenda. One is a significant exposure to litigation as identified on the agenda, and a matter of real property negotiators um, as identified on the agenda.
0: Okay, great. Then we will recess to closed session. Thanks. Welcome, everyone, to our Goleta City Council meeting of January 16th, our first meeting of 2024. Um, if you all rise and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Ready? Begin.
3: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible.
0: Okay, um, we can have a roll call.
1: Councilmember Kasdan? Here. Councilmember Richards? Here. Councilmember Kiriakou? Here. Mayor Pro Tempor Reyes-Martin? Here. And Mayor Perotti?
2: Here.
0: We can have a report from closed uh, session. Um, City Attorney Megan Garibaldi?
2: Thank you, Madam Mayor. The City Council convened in closed session at 4.01 p.m. pursuant to the items listed on the agenda. Uh, The City Council did not take up the Conference with Labor Negotiators, the first item on the closed session agenda. That was continued to a future date. Uh, There was no public comment, and on the other two items on the closed session agenda, no reportable action was taken. Oh, and the City Council recessed at 5.15 p.m.
0: Okay, thank you. Okay, at this time we'll have public forum. Anybody that wishes to speak to anything that's not on our agenda at this time?
1: If there are any members of the public wishing to speak on the Zoom webinar, would you please use the raise hand feature and I will call on you. We do have three paper requests to speak forms. And our first um, commenter is Eric Onan.
0: Good to see you, Mr. Onan.
4: Council members, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you tonight. Uh, my name is Eric Onan. I'm a longtime Galita resident and my company has been based in Goleta for over 40 years. Uh, As you know, on January 1st, the new Goleta sales tax went into effect. And um, I'm here today to tell you a little story about that sales tax. Um, The Santa Barbara Airbus after a long pause in capital investment was able to order two new motor coaches in 2023 uh, to take delivery of those in December of 2023. Through circumstances, one of those motor coaches was not delivered till January 2nd, um, which of course means that it fell under uh, the new uh, sales tax uh, for the city of Goleta. And uh, that sales tax amount was over $6,000. You can do the math, it's over a $600,000 purchase on one of those motor coaches. And I'm not here today to complain about the cost of the new sales tax, but I'm here to talk about the impact of it, the significance of it, and to make a few suggestions if I might. Um, But obviously when you thought about the new sales tax and many people did, oh, 1% not a significant uh, issue. Although when significant purchases are made either privately or by businesses, these numbers are significant on that individual transaction. And of course, as these revenues begin to flow to the city of Goleta, um, there will be significant revenue uh, to impact our city. And as I said, I'm not here to complain about it, but I'm certainly here to highlight the impact and for to give you some consideration. The voters of the city of Galita entrusted you with the authority to use those tax dollars well. Um, And now you have the duty and obligation to pursue that. And if I could I'd like to make a suggestion on how you use those funds. And on the top of my wish list is the elimination of the revenue neutrality agreement with the county of Santa Barbara. I'd love to see you use these resources to pursue the long time dream of real Goleta self rule which of course included all the revenues that a city is entitled to. And if I could go a little further and suggest uh, perhaps a strategy for you to use in pursuing the opportunity of eliminating the revenue neutrality agreement first of all. Don't spend all the money right away that's coming in from the new sales tax. Stockpile some of that money. Would you allow me to finish? Thank you. Um, Once you have some of those monies available to you, go out and hire a qualified, motivated legal team to represent you not only to end the RNA, but to claw back some of the tens of millions of dollars that were delivered to the County of Santa Barbara that were never projected never anticipated within that original agreement and give them the mandate to pursue a legal course of ending the RNA once you've got that legal team in place go to your colleagues at the County of Santa Barbara those other elected people sitting behind the dais and suggest to them that you will meet them at the negotiating table or see them in court. Um, The revenue neutrality agreement, many of us who have examined it and dealt with it, struggled with it, know it was never appropriate in the first place and is certainly not appropriate now. So I wish for you, use these monies wisely if you can find a way, find a way to pursue revenue neutrality and its elimination, you may be the council that can accomplish it. Good luck.
0: Thank you. And you know you. we can't address it, right? You know, being a council member yourself. Um, but if you ever want to um, meet for coffee, I'd love to chat. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Our next speaker
1: is Bob Wignott.
5: Good evening, Mayor Parodi, council members. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bob Wignot. I'm a 44-year resident of Goleta, and I served for nine years on the City of Galita Design Review Board. I'm here tonight representing the Goodland Coalition, and our organization has submitted a letter to you for this meeting, and I believe you've received email copies. Uh, the letter is to call your attention to a public safety issue that will be created if the mixed-use development at 6491 Kyrie is permitted to be built as presently designed. The current design violates General Plan Transportation Element 3.3, specifically the provision that new development abutting major and minor arterials shall accommodate safe ingress and egress without necessitating backing movements into the arterial. The current design makes no provision for larger vehicles to be turned around within the property. Consequently, vehicles such as trash collection trucks, delivery vans, moving vans, they can only exit the property by backing into Caio Real, contrary to uh, TE 3.3 provisions, and at a point that's in very close proximity to the Los Caneros roundabout. This creates a public safety hazard, and it's It's going to expose the city to liability should a vehicular accident occur or a pedestrian or bicyclist be injured by a vehicle backing out of the property onto Chiarelle. Our our letter outlines two solutions to this problem that city staff uh, can pursue with the developers to cure this violation of our transportation element uh, and eliminate potential city liability problems. So we urge you to take action on this subject before the city issues any building permits or certificate of occupancy for this development. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: And our next speaker is Richard Foster.
6: Good evening, Madam Mayor and members of council and anybody who doesn't know me. Um, You know, last year we had a lot of engagement because of the housing element. A lot of people showed up, spoke, had things to say. Now we're into an election year, and to judge from postings on next door on the website, I think a lot of people have taken a renewed interest in our city, how finances are, what decisions are being made. Um, our twenty-one, twenty, our twenty-three, twenty-five CIP report showed a number of grant projects that are on hold. I would suggest uh, that you, our city council, organize a workshop where staff could do a presentation about grant funding, grant projects, and what the public can expect. A spreadsheet would be useful that could be put up on Monarch Press where people could clearly see where we're at. You know, Maybe we're not in a problem, but maybe there is a problem. It would uh, ideally include what the grant was for, what the grant amount was, what the estimated cost to the city was by the staff when the grant was accepted, what the estimated current cost to the taxpayers would be to complete the contract, and what is the de- drop-dead date for each grant if there's a termination date upon it on the funded project. And are you planning to drop any of the previously grant accepted projects? But most importantly, something from the council explains how you plan to fund any of these. Thank you.
7: Thank you.
1: There are any members of the public on the Zoom webinar who wish to speak. Would you please use your the raise hand feature and I will call on you? And there are no responses. Okay.
0: Thank you. Okay, City Manager Robert Nisbet.
6: Mm-hmm. Madam
8: Mayor, we, I have no adjustments to the agenda, but we may um, note a couple things on uh, one of the consent calendar items and, and one of the other items, so we'll do that when we get to them. Okay. Um, moving on to city manager's report, um, I first wanted just to acknowledge the first uh, LEEDS uh, session took place na- last week. Uh, huge success. Uh, I think we had 33 participants. Uh, All five of you uh, made introductions, and I was there for the whole two hours, and uh, it was just outstanding. So, looking forward to five more sessions, I believe, of that, and uh, just a really great program. Um, Next, I just wanted to acknowledge the important cultural observances uh, for the month of February, um, starting with Black History Month. Black History Month is designated every February to recognize the achievements of African Americans the two, uh, 2024 theme is African Americans and the Arts. That's interesting. Spanning the many impacts black Americans have had on visual arts, music, culture, movements, and more. And then also uh, Chinese New Year is the yearly 15-day festival in China and Chinese communities around the world that begins with the new moon that occurs sometime between January 21st and February 20th. Uh, 2024 is the year of the dragon and starts on February 10th lasting until January 28th, uh, 2025. And then finally, of course, President's Day. President's Day is Monday, February 19th. Um, Holiday is referred to as President's Day, but originally it was uh, Washington's birthday. Maybe it's still referred to that. Um, And so we'll be celebrating that on the third Monday of February um, to commemorate our presidents. And that's it, that's all I have for now. Thank you.
0: Okay, moving on to consent calendar.
1: Item A1, Approval of the City Council Meeting Minutes of December fifth, two 2023 and the City Council Meeting Minutes of December 19, 2023. Item A2, Acceptance of the November 2023 Check Register. A3, Acceptance of the November 2023 Investment Transaction Report. A4, Consider and Respond to Brown Act Violation by April Reed regarding Kenwood Village Project. A5, Ratification of Mayoral Appointments to the Historic Preservation Commission. The Mosquito and Vector Management District Board of Santa Barbara County and the Santa Barbara County Library Advisory Committee, A6 Amendment Number Three to Professional Design Services Agreement with Home Structures Related to Capital Improvements at the Galita Community Center, A7 Amendment Number Six to Professional Design Services Agreement with Flowers and Associates Inc. for Capital Improvements at the Galita Community Center, A8 Amendment Number Two to Agreement Number 2023-022 with Philippine Engineering, Inc. for construction management and engineering services for the community garden at Armido's Park and the Splash Pad at Johnny D. Wallace Neighborhood Park. Please take note, uh, there was a typo in the recommendation section A and it should reflect A, authorize the city manager to execute amendment number 2 to professional services agreement number 2023-022 with Philippine Engineering, Inc., for construction management inspection, testing, and engineering services for the community garden at Armido's Park and the splash pad at Johnny D. Wallace Neighborhood Park, increasing the contract authority by $187,000 for a new total contract amount not to exceed $478,847. A-9, resolution of change to the freeway agreements for State Route 217 and State Route 101 with the San- State of California Department of Transportation for the San Jose Creek Multi-Purpose Path Northern and Southern Segments Project. A10 Amendment 4 to Professional Services Agreement 2021-092 with MS Engineers, Inc.
0: Thank you. Council wish to pull any item from consent. I'm not seeing any. Um, do we have any, um, from anybody from the public that wishes to speak?
1: If there are any members of the public on the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, would you please use the raise hand feature and I will call on you. And we do have one paper request to speak form for item A4
9: for April. Read. Hello. I'm sure you didn't read any of my documents that I sent in. So I'll go through them again, although I know you're not going to listen to anything I say. Number one, I know there was a dispute about whether uh, Kenwood Village was single family housing or high density housing. Your own 2016 EIR for Kenwood Village says expressly Baker Lane and Tuolumne. Those are the two streets, two of the streets that surround Kenwood Village in case you don't know after multiple years our uh, quote single family housing Unquote That's your EIR not mine. I didn't have anything to do with it. This is a map in your EIR that says single-family housing. Sorry This is Baker Lane This is Tuolumne It goes out from there. It all says single-family housing If anybody wants to provide any documentation that it's high density housing, I would suggest they do so. Otherwise, there's no discrepancy, there's no debate. It is single family housing, period. Next, there's a dispute over whether it's agricultural or commercial. Your own EIR from 2016 for Kenwood Village, again, quotes, it is agricultural not commercial. I would appreciate it if you would take the time to read these things, but you haven't read anything I've I've written since July, apparently. Number three, oh, you're gonna love this one. Number three, the city council, when I was sitting here and the property owner was also here, expressly stated that there's a range in the number of housing units to be built. However, the property owner decided in a private email that he didn't want to send to anybody, uh, to Paul McDougall, who's as you probably know from the state, said, "Quote: Now I'm stuck with 190 units, no more, no less, and no flexibility, which is not what the city council said." And he wrote that, trying to get the city council ca- or the the state to get you guys to raise up the number of housing units. Uh could keep going. Um, in 2013, there was a fire on the property. Um, 2023, this is what it currently looks like. Can't even see anything across from Kenwood Village because of all the high weeds. You can at least have the courtesy to look at it. I would appreciate that of all the times I've been here. Um, that's it. I know you're not going to listen to anything I say anyway. Thank you.
1: If there are any other members of the public on the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please use the raise hand feature and I will call on you. And there are no responses.
0: Okay, then I will entertain a motion for the consent calendar.
3: I'll move approval.
10: I'll second. Do we need to move it as amended? Given oh, yes.
0: that's yes. Good yes. catch.
3: As amended. Okay. I'll second
0: that. Uh, roll call vote. If you can
1: please lock in your votes, Councilmember Kasdan. Aye. Councilmember Richards. Yes. Councilmember Kiriakou. Aye. Mayor Pro Tempor Reyes martin Aye. And Mayor Perotti. Aye.
0: Oops, I forgot to lock in mine. It hasn't come up. Yet. Mine's it's mine's
7: not mine's working. not showing
0: Yeah, not working. We will we'll
1: work on correcting this. Okay,
0: it, well, we are all eyes. It's unanimous. Okay, thank you. Okay, moving on.
1: Item B1, a proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, proclaiming January 15th through 21st, 2024, as e bike safety awareness week.
0: Thank you. And I believe um, Kim Stanley Zimmerman will come up and um, I'll, up to the podium and I'll read that. Proclamation. OK. I'm going to come around this way so we you can see you. <laughs> Good to see you. you too. A proclama- This is a long one, so be ready. We're going to be here for a half hour. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. A proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, proclaim- proclaiming January 15 through the 21st, 2024 as, as E-Bike Safety Awareness Week. Whereas riding an electric-assisted bicycle, e-bike, continues to increase in popularity for all ages. Whereas there are many benefits of e-bikes. They can help to cover longer riding distances, climb steeper terrain, travel at higher speeds, enable users to travel by bike instead of car, thereby helping to encourage physical activity and reduce traffic congestion and pollution. And whereas electric bicycles are heavier and faster than standard bicycles, and without proper safety education and training, e-bike riders have a higher risk of becoming severely injured or killed um, in a crash. And whereas e-bikes become more commonplace, it's also important for drivers to familiarize yourself themselves with sharing the road with e-bike riders. And whereas in an effort to improve public safety, the state of California has passed e-bike safety laws that regulate who and where each type of e-bike can lawfully be ridden and that riders 17 years of age and under must always wear a helmet. And whereas the CHP launched an online e-bike safety and training program to help keep commuters and recreational cyclists safe. Whereas, I told you this is long. (laughs) Whereas, e-bikes can bring joy and a sense of freedom, but that whatever bike you ride, some collisions can be avoided by practicing common sense safety, including checking your battery, brakes, chain, and tire pressure before you ride, wearing a helmet and visible clothing, whether you are a rider or a passenger, Watching your speed by riding slowly and respectfully on multi use paths or where pedestrians are present. Riding predictability using hand signals, keeping eye contact to communicate your movements and other vehicles with other vehicles, avoiding texting, talking on the phone, or listening to loud music while riding. And obeying traffic signs, signals, and roadway laws, just as cars do, or as uh, cars are required to do. And whereas for e-bike safety awareness week, the city of Goleta and Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office has produced a safety video, and it's working with Move Santa Barbara County to, um, to hold helmet distributions at Dose Pulus High School on January 17, 2024, and Goleta Valley Junior High School on January 18, 2024, and a community e-bike ride <laughs> on January 20, 2024. Now, therefore, it be it resolved that on this 16th day of January, 2024, the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, does hereby proclaim January fifteenth through the twenty first, twenty twenty four, as e bike safety awareness week and encourage residents to learn more about this emerging popular activity. Approved the sixteenth day of January twenty twenty four and signed by myself, Mayor Paula Perrotti. Thank you, Paula. Yes, yeah, wonderful. We've got to get a picture here first. Okay. I wanna shake your hand. <laughs> Thank you for all that you do. Of course. My <laughs> pleasure, yeah. No, sorry <laughs> and if you'd like to say a few
11: mayor Parody and council members thank you for your support of via bike awareness week move santa barbara county works to make walking cycling and public transit a safe option so that residents can choose active and sustainable forms of transportation. Our education at the schools focuses on teaching students how to be safe when they are walking and biking, about wearing helmets, and encourages students to walk and bike to school. The eBike Awareness Week events are an extension of our education program with a few perks. We will be distributing free helmets and other bike safety items that increase the safety and visibility of bicyclists such as helmets, reflective bands, bike bells, and bike lights. As part of the upcoming events, MOVE will also host an e-bike skills class, said in the proclamation, um, and ride on this Saturday at Galita Valley Junior High to teach participants what rules to follow when biking on the street and how to safely interact with traffic. While we teach students to take responsibility for their safety, we cannot talk about bicyclist safety without mentioning the responsibility of car drivers to help keep bicyclists safe. Drivers, please drive slowly and with awareness around bicyclists and pedestrians. E-bikes can allow users to travel longer distances, climb steeper hills, (laughs) carry heavier loads, and travel at higher speeds enabling many car trips to be made by bike to be made by bike instead this saves users money reduces traffic reduces parking demand and reduces air pollution we are thrilled that more people are riding e-bikes and we're excited to share what we know to help uh, the community be safer um, during e-bike awareness week we look forward to seeing students and the general public at these upcoming events Thank you to the City of Goleta for your support of these activities and in creating safe streets for all. Thank you. Before we take any public comment,
0: I, I think we have a video to share.
12: are increasing in popularity amongst the youth and adults. Kids are riding them to and from school, adults are riding them to and from work, and we just want to be sure that people are riding them safely and following the rules of the road. Most of the people that we interact with genuinely don't know the rules associated with e-bikes. The injuries that we're seeing are far greater than it would be on a regular bicycle, and traumatic injuries from e-bike related accidents have been on the rise ever since these bikes have become more popular. The technology is really advanced, they're faster than they ever were, and they're easier to ride. There's several rules now in the state of California that pertain directly to bicycles and e-bikes. I think it's important for everyone to realize that if they're riding a bicycle, they're required to follow all the same rules of the road as someone who's driving a vehicle. And if you're issued a citation, you could pay the same fine amount as someone who could be stopped in a car. We're seeing a lot of youth riding bikes on sidewalks, which is unsafe, and it's also against the law in the city of Goleta. Um, We also want to make sure that youth under the age of 18 are also wearing their helmets, uh, which required by law in the state of California. Due to the speed of these new electric bicycles, we highly suggest that everyone wear a helmet because it could save a life. We also want to make sure that if they're riding on a bicycle with passengers that they are on a seat, and that passenger is also wearing a helmet if they're under the age of 18. That is also required by state law. Distracted driving also applies to bicycles. It's against the law to have two headphones in while you're riding a bicycle or an e-bike. And it can be very dangerous if you're using your phone or texting while riding a bike because you're not able to pay attention to the traffic around you and the conditions on the road. We see a lot of common violations on bicycles and e-bikes. Traffic. Stop signs also pertain to people on bicycles and e-bikes. Just like a vehicle, you have to stop for all stop signs. At night, bicycles and e-bikes are required to have a forward-facing white light and a red rear reflector on their bicycle while they're riding on the roadway. Also remember, while you're riding an e-bike, due to the increased speed, vehicles may not think that you're going as fast as you really are, and we wanna make sure that you're being a defensive rider and making sure that vehicles aren't pulling out in front of you or turning in front of you because they're just not used to the speed that these bikes are traveling at now. The state of california has classified e-bikes as three types type one two and three we want people who own these bikes to be familiar about what type of bicycle they have and the laws that apply to that type of bicycle for instance a type three bicycle that can go up to 28 miles an hour you have to be 16 years old to ride it and you can't ride them in traditional bike paths something that's also increasing in popularity are uh, these pedalless electric bicycles Um, if it doesn't have pedals on it, you are required to have a license plate and either an M1 or an M2 endorsement. And we want to make sure that before people go out and buy these electric motorcycles, in essence, that they are aware of the laws that pertain to them and they're not just riding them around as if they were bicycles. As a community resource deputy and in my personal life, I I enjoy riding e-bikes. And we strongly encourage people to go out and enjoy them, enjoy this new technology, enjoy the outdoors. But before you do, we want to make sure that people are aware of the laws that pertain to them and that they do ride them safely.
0: very nice great <laughs>
7: Bravo.
0: you know I have to just share a story really quick um, when my grandchildren were younger um, they asked me one day because um, I'm always uh, you know been an advocate for riding safely and wearing your helmet and obeying the laws of the, of the road and and they asked me one day well we get it. We're supposed to wear our hel- helmets to protect our brains, but why aren't in- adults wearing their helmets? Are their brains <laughs> need less protection? And I'm like, good question out of the babe, you know, out of the mouth of a babe. So, um, but now they say they ride. They do have e-bikes, and they do say that it's not cool to ride without one, and it needs to be strapped. So, so it's good. Anybody have anything they'd like to say, or any speakers from the public?
1: There are any members of the public wishing to speak, please use the raise hand feature on the zoom webinar and I will call on you and there are no responses
0: okay thank you oh.
1: would
13: you, do you have something to, would you like to speak
1: chris Chris Sarbell
13: Hi, I am Chris Sobel. I'm a Carpenterian, and um, I'm here basically to give you guys kudos on this thing. Um, down in Carpenteria, of course, we had the same problems. Um, e-bikes are wonderful. We all want more bikes and pedestrians and everything there, but we all want to be safe. But the basic um, weight of the bikes and the speed have, are creating a lot of um, close calls so far, mm-hmm. you know, I think, maybe some not so bad things. but. Um, I was uh, shown uh, the news hawk from my other carpenterians that are here and I was, read this and I thought "You've so far, this is so great what you've done and I'm um, really here to learn and to use some of what you've done <laughs> I hope and bring it down to Carpenteria and you should be really proud of what you've done because this is going to be great that everyone will um, get the basically the education in in riding an e-bike and you know other things, so thank you, and um, I hope to be uh, maybe making contact with some of you so I can learn more about how we can get ours put together quickly. Thank you. That's
0: great, thank okay. you. Do we have another speaker?
1: And there are no other speakers left.
0: I just want um, a quick um, uh, shout out to our. Uh, Somebody in our planning department, Teresa Lopes, who was able to get (laughs) help us get a grant from (laughs) Office of Transportation. And um, that money was used towards uh, most of it was given to move Santa Barbara. And they're working in conjunction with our sheriffs and other um, um, agencies to get the work just to do that, to get the education component out and um, work with um, e-bike riders. So thank you, Teresa. Okay.
1: Our next item is item B2, a proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, proclaiming January 2024 as Human Trafficking Awareness
0: Month. Okay, I've asked um, Mayor Pro Tem Luz Reyes Martin to present this one. Is anyone
14: here?
0: Is anybody here? oh, Oh, there you are.
14: thank you for being here well it's my honor to read this proclamation um a proclamation of the city council of the city of galita california proclaiming january 2024 as human trafficking awareness month whereas human trafficking is a form of modern slavery that occurs in every state including california wherein victims are forced to work in various forms of labor exploitation including but not limited to commercial sex acts, and other services that are induced through force, fraud, or coercion. And whereas due to its isolated and discreet nature, many individuals across the globe are unaware that trafficking exists in their communities. And whereas it is estimated that more than 28 million people around the world are victims of human trafficking. And whereas human trafficking victims face a cruelty that has no place in a civilized world. It is a crime that can take many forms, and one that tears at our social fabric, debases our common humanity, and violates what we stand for as a country. And whereas increased education about how to identify human trafficking, along with increased knowledge of in-state resources and services for those affected by criminal exploitation, can help decrease the number of future victims. And whereas the Santa Barbara County Human Trafficking Task Force is committed to using all applicable laws and resources for investigating human trafficking and prosecuting those engaged in it. And whereas the Santa Barbara County Human Trafficking Task Force has worked diligently to bring awareness to the fact that human trafficking occurs closer to home than one might think, that California ranks number one in the country for reported human trafficking cases, and that Santa Barbara County is home to hundreds of survivors of trafficking and exploitation. And whereas human trafficking awareness month is an opportunity to recognize the critical role all santa barbara county residents play in preventing reporting and adjudicating these heinous crimes now therefore be it resolved that on this 16th day of january 2024 the city council of the city of Goleta, california does hereby proclaim january 2024 as human trafficking awareness month
7: thank you
14: You
15: do, would you like to see anything? Yes. Yeah. Hello, Mayor Perotti and council members. Uh, my name is Carla. I am uh, with Santa Barbara, uh, standing together to end sexual assault, but today I'm here um, representing the Santa Barbara County Human Trafficking Task Force. Um, and I first and foremost just want to thank you for, for everything and for your support around the issue of human trafficking. Human trafficking is something that a lot of people shy away from, mm-hmm. of course, because of the topic. Um, but it is super important to talk about this. It's super important to let our community know that human trafficking does happen in Santa Barbara County, that we are a perfect place for trafficking. We're right in between Los Angeles and San Francisco. So it happens, um, unfortunately, in, in our own community. Um, I would like to extend an invitation. Tomorrow we will be holding a vigil for uh, survivors in Santa Barbara County. It will be uh, downtown Santa Barbara at the Lagara Plaza at 530. So just wanted to Im- uh, extend that invitation. And again, thank you for your utmost support. Thank you. Thank you
0: Thank you for all that you do, thank you. Do you. you have any speakers?
1: there are any members of the public wishing to speak on the Zoom webinar, would you please use the raise hand feature and I will call on you. And there are no responses. Okay.
0: Thank you. Okay. Moving on.
1: Item C1 resolution to provide no parking zones on Salisbury Avenue at Padova Drive.
16: Good evening, Madam Mayor and council members. My name is Nina Buelna, and I'm your Assistant Public Works Director. Mr. Rapp, our contract traffic engineer, will be presenting tonight, and Mr. Ebling, our Public Works Director, is in the audience if there are any questions. Public Works will be presenting the resolution to provide no parking zones on Salisbury Avenue and Padova Drive, and I will turn the presentation over to Mr. Rapp.
17: Okay, thank you. Um, uh, Again, my name is Derek Rapp. I'm the contract traffic engineer with the uh, city of Goleta. Um, We often, uh, as the um, traffic operations and maintenance division, we often get requests from the public regarding um, observed safety issues in neighborhoods. Uh, And this is one of those locations. We received reports um, from a couple of uh, residents in the area about concerns uh, about individuals crossing um, crossing the street in this in this location this location is is somewhat unique because it is a um, is a sorry one second Sorry, technical difficulties. Um, uh, this is uh, a location, um, Padova at, at Salisbury, um, that is a connection between a um, private road community on Jenna Drive and points to the east, uh, including Brandon uh, School, uh, as well as um, um, Evergreen Park. This is a, this is a, a view looking south uh, on Salisbury, and you can see uh, parked vehicles uh, blocking visibility of oncoming vehicles of the, um, of the corner, uh, pedestrians potentially standing on the corner. Um, this is the approach from uh, looking north, and, and in this direction, visibility is quite good of the corners. Um, in order to provide uh, visibility in the southbound direction because of the curvature of the road uh, and other factors um, for 25 miles per hour of approaching speeds, um, we are proposing for the visibility of those pedestrians 50 feet of red curb on the east side of Salisbury and 20 feet of red curb um, on the west side. These um, these lengths are based on engineering standards that we use regularly, um, uh, including uh, um, manual manual of uniform traffic control devices um, and ITE um, engineering um, traffic handbook. Um, it's important that we um, establish these red zones in areas uh, where pedestrian crossings occur, and that council um, review and, and approve these uh, approaches because of um, import, it's important for risk management purposes in, in the, for the city and that uh, the city received um, design immunity. Um, just to reiterate our process here, um, when we get a request from the public, we do go out and examine um, the location based on those standards. Uh, we then um, determine whether or not parking prohibition is, is uh, appropriate. Once we do that, then we send out notices to the public uh, informing them of the proposed action and, and the upcoming council hearing. We did receive a communication from uh, residents in the area, uh, particular those residents that live on those corners that would be impacted. Uh, Obviously um, not um, pleased with the loss of parking in front of their house. However, consider taking all the um, factors into consideration. uh, We still um, maintain that the visibility of pedestrians from oncoming vehicles is important and and is essential to the safety of this crosswalk. Um, And there is. Um, in in our observation has been um, ample parking street parking in the vicinity maybe not right um, right in front of those residences but in the vicinity so on balance um, our recommendation has not changed and that recommendation would be to um, to uh, approve a resolution uh, for those parking lengths 50 feet on on the east side and 20 feet. On the west side, and that concludes my presentation. And I'm available for any questions.
0: Council questions. I
14: think so.
0: Council Member Cazen, did you have a question? I don't think our, um, our it's working. So so you'll just have to. I'll have to look at you. Okay, <laughs> when, I'll look. When curious. anybody wants to speak, the old-fashioned way.
18: I look questioning. Uh, When you make those those judgments, how are there objective standards that you use that, uh, you know, or how subjective is it?
17: Um, Madam Mayor, Council Member Kasdan, Um, they are objective standards, Uh, as I mentioned, we use um, standards that are based on the speed, the prevailing speed of the roadway and the actual physical time it takes a driver traveling at that speed. Uh, to both react to a, a potential conflict and then actually physically break their, um, and, and avoid that conflict. And there have been uh, numerous studies on the performance of vehicles and drivers, what their perception reaction time is and the like. So it, it's, a, it's a fairly prescriptive um, process. Uh, once we determine what the, what the speeds are, the visit the the site distance that's required is is a pretty objective um, procedure
18: so it isn't the case is this correct it isn't the case that it's essentially every street corner is subject to this kind of determination it would be on a case-by-case basis that you would evaluate the traffic and so forth or is it every street corner is vulnerable in a sense to have parking removed
17: madam mayor council member Kasdan, um it is true that every every intersection um is subject to these same laws of physics if 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 you will um the the city however does not go on an intersection by intersection basis um uh, enforcing these uh these visibility standards Uh, what we have done is um is respond to requests from the public and then we go out and review those locations and then we apply those standards.
18: Have we ever done anything like an evaluation of which are the more dangerous intersections and focus on those rather than rely on just people from the public coming forward? Because that's kind of an arbitrary basis for, you know, it just depends on the confluence of neighbors and people's judgments and so forth.
17: Um, madam mayor councilmember Kazan great question and and that's not the only that's not the only uh, method that we use uh, to prioritize our our efforts obviously we do uh, we are aware of high collision locations um, and we do um, take uh, take special consideration at those locations site distance is one of many considerations that we have in those locations but um, there are a number of locations that are both not high collision locations and don't receive requests from the public that we aren't that we aren't reviewing on a regular basis. Um, it would just be it, it would be time prohibitive to be going uh, on on every intersection. But we certainly do look at um, high collision locations and we look at patterns of, of collisions. And if there are patterns there that suggest that that we can reduce collisions at at certain locations with addition of red curb, that is is, uh, something that we move forward with. Okay, all right, thank you.
0: Councilmember Richards.
3: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, my first question is, uh, what does the state law either allow or require of us uh, to do in in situations like this? Um, So can we put red curb anywhere? Do we have to put it anywhere? Uh, what, What can you say?
17: madam mayor uh, council member richards uh, there's actually uh, a fairly new state law that is um, is requiring um, parking uh, it's, it will be illegal it is illegal to park near an intersection within 20 feet of an intersection um, whether there's a red curb or not this is a relatively new law that's out um, there is nothing that is mandated by law that you provide red curb at a location or, or another. Um, these are recommendations based on our engineering review and analysis, um, but there is no no law
3: that's prescribing any, any action on your part. Okay, and so with that new law, uh, whether or not it has a red curb, uh, it would actually be prohibited within 20 feet. Is that, is that what you said?
17: Um, yes, that's correct. Um, there, I should also add that the law does also um, include a one-year grace period, essentially an education period for the public.
3: So uh, ticketing will not happen f- uh, for another calendar year. Okay, and I, I see that there are uh, bus stops on Salisbury, uh, just south of Padova. Is that taken into consideration when you make your determination about uh, whether or not to put it there?
17: Councilmember Richards, yes, uh, absolutely. That all, all existing Uh, red curb and um, things that either deter or improve site distance, all factors into our analysis. Yes.
7: Okay.
3: And I'm sorry if you said it, but uh, how many parking spaces would be affected uh, by this? Uh, Council Member Richards,
17: uh, it would be uh, two spaces on the east side and one on the west side.
3: Okay. Okay. That's all my questions. Thank you.
0: Any other questions from Council? Uh, I'm assuming, I'll, I'll be just jump in here before we go to the public, I'm assuming that um, when you make this determination, um, especially around schools, you look at the pattern, um, the route to school, um, and, and the volume of um, st- kids, students, that are walking that way. And I, I say that because <laughs> those are, that, that intersection is the intersection that my kids crossed um, as we walk to school every day. And we used to do a walking school bus, so there were a lot of us. I don't know what it's like now, but um, so um, you know, for me, uh, um, I'm, I'm thinking that you look at that in, in key locations as well.
17: Madam Mayor, we look at a variety of uh, of data points, not only um, not only pedestrian number of pedestrians, speed of traffic, volume of traffic, um, but and not just that. Um, also, uh, whether pedestrians are the, there or not, uh, we are definitely in the um, of the mindset that we want to encourage walking and riding bikes as well. Um, so if, if this area is e- even perceived as being an, an unsafe uh, crossing, it's a barrier to, to those goals. So um, So we not only look at the data, but we also look at, what our goals are for the city to be a more walkable and, and bikeable city. Great.
0: Thank you. Okay, do we have any speakers? If there are any members of
1: the public on the Zoom webinar who wish to speak to item C1, please use the raise hand feature and I will call on you. I do see one hand raised, actually two, Eric Moore. If you can please unmute yourself.
19: Can you hear me?
0: Yes, we can.
19: Excellent. Um, I live near that corner uh, at 167 Salisbury. And I think that the problem is more a problem of speed than visibility. Um, I would be more in favor of a four-way stop than losing parking. Um, The residents of Mountain View Ranch next door, they have no street parking. um, And so those residents park near us because there's a pedestrian access to that that space um, that and there's a lot of renters in our community because of um, it's more affordable uh, so there's more than single families living in some of these places and they need street parking um, to lose that parking pushes that the, those folks farther up the street um, what else was there Jill um, um, And also to note, um, the complaints probably stemmed from that house on the corner was under construction for 18 months with large trucks parked on the corner, um, which, of course, is over now. Um, And there's no, you know, if that house hadn't been burned down, there wouldn't be new construction out there in that area of town. So um, anyway, that's, uh, that's my take on that.
0: Thank you.
1: And our next speaker is Debbie Gioa. If you can please unmute yourself.
20: Good evening. How are you?
0: Good, thank you.
20: Okay. Um, thank you for the opportunity to speak this evening. Um, my name is Debbie Joya and I own the property at 161, Salisbury where the no parking zone is being proposed directly directly in front of our house on both sides of the street. Um, It was my understanding that this issue is based on a complaint of one person about the intersection. Um, I've owned this property with my son who lives in the property for almost six years. This area is actively, is very active with people walking. There's dozens of people walking by daily, including my son who walks his dog every day and my son has never encountered an issue and we have never witnessed any kind of issue with pedestrians at this intersection um and my son even works from home so he's there every day um the the written information that was provided um before this vote that I read this evening is not completely accurate it indicates you only received two comments from two residents Um, And both of them were talking about negative impact of the parking. My son and I both provided comments, so that's an additional two comments, to the city council, city clerk, and Dennis Lambers, who's the person that we were asked to respond to. I'm happy to read my concerns, but I'm assuming that you've read them and that they were provided in the written information you received, even though they weren't attached online. Um, The information also indicates a site visit was conducted and meetings with the affected residents. This red zone is happening in front of property, and nobody spoke to us. I did call and speak to Dennis after receiving notification, and he told us an email to email you, which we did, but apparently it was not counted or included in the written information. The information indicates there's ample parking in this area which I am not sure what the basis is for this conclusion. The only way to make this determination is to observe the area when the residents are home in the evening or on the weekend. The photos and the site visits, I assume were done during working hours. The parking issue is in the evening and and working weekends when the people are at home, not at work. There's a big problem because of the housing development behind our house, Mountain View Ranch. It doesn't have enough parking for their residents and their overflow parking is on the dead end of padova and across the intersection on padova and on salisbury where currently there is no red curb additionally on the other side of our house is a cul-de-sac that has five homes which means there's very little if any street parking there there is definitely not ample parking during the hours when the residents are at home So the other thing that's occurred is that the real safety issue is is because of children on e-bikes. We have contacted law enforcement several times because children have almost been hit by cars. Um, So I agree with the previous speaker that a stop sign would be a better option because I think that it would resolve the issue of the pedestrians and also help with the children on e-bikes that are blowing through the stop sign. I think that you guys talked, had a whole thing on e-bikes, and I really think that someone needs to go to the Brandon school regarding the safety of e-bikes. So
0: thank you. I agree with the four-way
20: stop. I do think another option would be to limit the parking during school hours. If that's what the issue is that way people could park on the street in the evening and on the weekends when they're at home.
0: Thank you, your three minutes are up. <laughs> Thank you. there are
1: any other members of the public wishing to speak, would you please use your, the raise hand feature, and I will call on you. And I do not see any, any other hands raised.
0: OK. Back to council.
1: My, I do see one more that just oh, went okay. up for Clint Goa. If you can please unmute yourself.
20: Yeah, I just wanted to echo the sentiment of my mom and Eric, my neighbor, as well. Um, I just don't think that the proposed solution is really a long-term solution or a solution at all, uh, for a matter of fact. Um, there are other solutions, like the four-way stop that was mentioned. Um, also, I mean, it was closing off that gate at Mountain View Ranch ever something that was considered to divert the traffic? i um, not sure it didn't sound like that was something that was touched on earlier, but um, yeah, I just don't think that, that this is really a solution. It was well thought out. Um, so,
0: Thank you. Did you have a slide that showed um, a car that was parked in front of and how it blocked the view of a small child was crossing? Yes, that one. So if that's a car, if there was a larger vehicle, it'd be even more dangerous, is how I'm seeing it. So, you know, this city has always prided themselves since long before I was on the council of being um, proactive instead of reactive to things uh, regarding safety for children. So um, I'm interested to see what my colleagues feel about this
7: well a couple, couple of things
18: i mean i guess with this one it doesn't look really distinctive from probably the next corner is it you know if you were to go down the road is this obviously a more dangerous
7: can
0: can i just make one quick comment on that if you go further towards the school which i'm i'm talking about the kids getting to school there's a crossing guard in the morning and the afternoon so this is a route that the kids go
18: it just looks like an ordinary street corner that's what you know when i look at it and it just makes me wonder what is distinctive about this one that we would want to be imposing the various red curbs as opposed to drive one block further okay the other direction i'm
17: um, just mad mayor council member kazan uh, there's a couple things that make this location unique one is the actual uh, pedestrian access point um from the um, private road community off of Jenna Drive. It, so it, it essentially is a shortcut for that entire community to the west, uh, two points east, including um, Brandon School and, and the park. Um, the other thing is the uh, Salisbury itself has sort of an S curve in it. Um, and so this, the location of this intersection puts, especially one of the corner, the corner where the truck is parked, sort of on the inside of that curve um, creating more visibility obstruction than it would if it were a standard uh, you know, p- T or p- plus, plus intersection, perpendicular intersection. Um, so so there, there's a couple unique aspects of this location that are different than, say, the next intersection down the street.
18: Okay. And just a couple more things that uh, were raised. With, there were multiple complaints as opposed to a single complaint.
17: Councilmember Kazan, I believe we received uh, two requests for review, um, and then to clarify the the comment about the um, concerns about the locations. There were more more individuals, but I think the intent was that two properties um, were concerned about the impacts. Yes.
18: Okay. And did we, when we evaluated the question of uh, the adequate parking? It wasn't just at a single time, like, you know, two in the afternoon on a Wednesday, but there was something when it would otherwise likely be stressed.
17: Councilmember Kazdin, it wasn't myself that did the review, but I believe that uh, we looked at parking impacts um, outside of normal working hours, so either on the weekend or, or when a, when residents would be parked in the location.
10: Thank you. um,
0: Councilmember Kerriaco.
10: Thank you, Madam Mayor. So one of the things about about Mountain View is it's it's pretty self-contained. There's not a lot of ways to get in or out of there. Um, And I, I recognize that there's not necessarily street parking where you can just like park in front of somebody's house or park in front of your own house because of the way they do the curbing. But they do have like every few units, if I remember correctly, every few units, they have like three or four spaces that are like overflow for the house and, get, and for guests. The one place where there's sort of a kind of way to get, to kind of access the property, the, the, the development without driving through seems to be right there at the end of Padova connecting with, with Jenna. Um, I'm not necessarily convinced that there's this avalanche of cars, you know, in the in the surrounding neighborhood um, in general. Just because it's really not terribly convenient to park outside of Mountain View, into in, in that development, and then find a way to get into that development. I think this property might be like the one of the few exceptions, um, but it it. In my own lived experience, I, and I've, I I know the area, and I've I've spent time in the area. It doesn't seem to me like it's an area that's really um, pressed for parking the way some other neighborhoods, like around, um, you know, around the um, Gersh Park, you know, uh, Pacific, o- Pacific Oaks, Pacific Palms area or areas of Old Town, where it's really kind of tight, right? So I. You know, I, I think given the way the state's going with, with regulations, I think just with our own tradition of trying to err on the side of being uh, more safe rather than taking a chance, uh, I'm inclined to support what you were saying, Madam Mayor, and, and um, you know, let's go ahead and do this. And for me, it's less about whether or not there was one complaint or three complaints. It's really more about what's the right thing to do, and to me, it seems like the right thing to do is a small step forward for safety. So, I would, I would support staff recommendation.
0: Councilmember Richards.
3: Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, I had a question with regard to the suggestion that was made to put a four-way stop sign there, and I'm wondering, was that considered, and what are the, uh, how, how do you evaluate that?
17: Yes, um, Madam Mayor, Councilmember Richards. Uh, we did a look at that alternative, and it's always something, we are obviously sensitive to the, the fact that we are proposing to remove parking spaces in front of people's houses so we do look at alternatives that would pr- be less impactful uh, and always stop is one of those uh, that we looked at um, along with these um, standards that w- that we were referring to uh, for example in the california manual of uniform traffic control devices it provides guidance um, to um, cities about where and appro- where is appropriate for an all-way stop to be uh, installed, and this is based on um, years of study and analysis of, of characteristics of intersections and so forth. And um, this location, after looking at the volumes and speeds and and um, and of of both both sides of the street, uh, both uh, directions of the street, uh, did not meet those guidelines uh, to support an all-way stop. So. Um, that's not something we're recommending today. Okay, thank you. Uh,
3: Another question I have uh, is with regard, so there is some on-street parking I see on that little dead end uh, on Padova um, where it stops and then there's a pedestrian access. And uh, by the way, I I would say that I don't support uh, uh, cutting off that uh, access. I think that we, you know, as a city, are looking at increasing pedestrian and bicycle uh, access and, and access points and so I think that one provides a, a good way for people that live in the Mountain View development um, to, to get to the school or to other points to the park or, or other places. Um, I, I do ride my bike along Salisbury it's a great uh, uh, kind of shortcut that I take to avoid Cathedral Oaks and, and I can um, go through a neighborhood like that and so I am familiar with this neighborhood and I, and I, I know what they're saying. I'm sensitive to the idea that we would be taking away parking, and I know that's a concern everywhere in the city. Um, um, I'm not sure that it's this neighborhood as as impacted as other places that we've seen. So um, I, I, I agree with that point. I, I was wondering with that with that little uh, that little dead end at Padova, have we ever considered you know adding parking capacity by maybe putting in angled parking on one side of the street or or something like that i'm not sure if that would be a, a possibility if there's enough turnaround room or what what would be the considerations um for us to look at like restriping that to add more parking capacity in that way
17: um Madam mayor council member uh, richards uh we had not um looked at that but that is definitely something that uh that we could do
3: and and i would say that I, i'm aware of other little Kind of dead end streets like this, similarly, that that we may look at, you know, uh, as a as a potential. It, and again, I'm not sure what the considerations would be if there'd be enough room to have a car turning around, and you know what the radius would be for them to get out then, because they'd have to, um, you know, uh, turn around at some point. But um, I I would think that that might be an easy way to add some parking capacity in some uh, you know areas like this that have limited space.
17: We would we would be happy to look at that.
3: That's all. Thank you.
14: Mayor Pro Tem Luce Reyes martin Thank you. Actually, Councilmember Richards asked the exact question I was going to ask about is there a way to better utilize that um, kind of dead end space um, to provide more parking capacity? So I I think that's an interesting question to see if that's possible. Um, I appreciate all all of the other uh, notes from staff about what makes this intersection unique. um, I'm also very mindful on routes that are heavily trafficked by small children, um, that we are creating as much visibility as possible. Um, and I also hear the residents on the e-bikes. I think we're all really aware of um, the challenges with that. You know, Unfortunately, I've seen kids blow through even stop signs um, on e-bikes, so I don't know that that would necessarily um, end that. Um, but we absolutely need more education um, and, and not just at the high school and junior high level, but, you know, in this case, also the elementary level. Um, so with, with that, EI yeah, support staff's uh, recommendation. Um, and would just echo the, the question about increasing parking capacity in that little area. Thank you. Any other questions?
0: Comments? Anybody would like to entertain a motion?
7: Richard? I'll move,
3: yeah, uh, I'll move that we adopt resolution number uh, 24, next in order, entitled a resolution of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, authorizing no parking zones on Salisbury Avenue at Padova Drive. Do
0: I have a second? I'll second. Okay. Um, I guess we're not doing the roll call vote. Not at this time. Okay. All, all, I guess all those in favor say Aye. Aye.
18: Aye. 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 We don't do it individually.
1: We, we can do the roll call vote, however, we cannot. We can't lock it, dis- it in. We okay, why, it why, in. why don't you do yeah, that? Yeah, we can do that. I was going
0: really way yeah, down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we've, we've <laughs> <even> done <laughs>
18: that <streamlining>. <laughs>
1: Councilmember Kasdan. <laughs> Aye. Councilmember Richards. Yes. Councilmember Kiriakou. Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes-Martin. Aye. And Mayor Parodi.
0: Aye. I have it. Thank you. Do we need a little break? A 5-minute break. Thank
1: you. And our next item is item C2, approval of plans and specifications and authorization to advertise for bids for the 2023 pavement rehabilitation project.
16: Good evening, Madam Mayor and Council Members. Um, I wanted to give an update. We've submitted plans, updated plans, to the Council Members, and they all have that. And we also have a copy up front. We had an issue with um, our file getting corrupted, so it it didn't save properly. So I just wanted to let everyone know that before we get started. Okay. So it's me again, Nina Buena your assistant public <laughs> works director. Mr. Virgin, our city assistant engineer and project manager for this project, along with Mr. Ryrie of pavement engineering, will be presenting tonight. And Mr. Ebling, our public works director, is in the audience for any questions. Public works will be presenting on the pavement management update. I will turn it over to Mr. Virgin.
21: Thank you, Ms. Bonaf for the introduction. Tonight we will be presenting the Pavement Management Program Education, followed by the Pavement Management Program History. and wrap things up with looking forward at the 2023 Pavement Project Call for Bids and Future Pavement Management Program Plan. Now I'll turn it to Mr. Ryrie to guide us through the presentation. Thank
22: you. Thank you, Mr. Virgin. Madam Mayor, members of the council, it's wonderful to be here with you again this evening, um, talking about a subject that I really love. Um, So um, we're gonna start off with what I call Pavement 101. The pavement section is determined by the weight of the vehicles that are riding on it and what it is being built on. The heavier the vehicles and the worse condition of the soil, the thicker the pavement section needs to be in order to bridge what it's being built on. This slide illustrates a pavement deterioration curve asphalt pavements don't deteriorate linearly they follow this s-shaped pattern where the pavements look good for a while and then they fall off quickly and then they end their life by just being in a poor condition and we've seen that phenomenon as we've driven around we've driven down a, a road and and suddenly said wow when did this road get so bad and and so we'll ask ourselves that as we're driving down the road um Asphalt pavement deteriorates two different ways. The first way is from environmental type distresses from the sun and water oxidizing the binders and the second way is fatigue from the loading of heavy vehicles and let's look at each one of these just a little bit more in detail. So an asphalt pavement is made up of aggregates or rocks of different sizes that are held together by oil that we refer to as a binder and as the sun bakes on the asphalt it it age hardens that oil or the binder and it becomes more brittle in addition that baking action also burns out volatiles from the pavement and it loses mass and it'll begin to shrink as it as it loses the its mass and then as the cracks begin to form water begins to enter into it and flow through it and down into the base and causes that base to to uh, weaken and not support the pavement structure. This slide illustrates uh, the impact of heavy vehicles. We developed this a, a while ago, and we used a, a, a small SUV known as a Chevy S10 Blazer. And that becomes the unit of measure that we're using for each of these different uh, types of trucks. And we equated that, that vehicle to different um, axles on trucks. And the first, uh, what I want to call your attention to is a two axle truck is equal to 442 Chevy S10 Blazers. So when you see a two axle large truck travel in front of you, it's as if 442 um, Chevy S10 Blazers just drove in front of you. A fully loaded five axle truck Is equal to almost 15,000 Chevy S10 Blazer units. So when we see a big truck that's delivering to Vons or Albertsons, it's as if that many uh, vehicles just passed in front of us. So again, it's not the the heaviness of the uh, or it's not the the um, amount or busyness of the road. It's it's really what's traveling on it that has the most effect. we think of a road almost as, uh, as a bank account when we designed the road to be able to handle the heavy vehicles that are on it. And each time a heavy vehicle passes over it, it's like a withdrawal happens from it. I wanna call your attention to the uh, garbage trucks. It's equal to almost 10,000 um, Chevy S10 Blazers. Um, that's significant because many of our roadways were only designed To handle one garbage truck trip per week and now we have three garbage truck trips per week traveling through and so it's consuming the life of those residential roads much much faster. Okay, this is a picture of different types of common. Uh, distresses that you can observe when you're out looking at pavement. The first picture is a picture of weathering and raveling. It's the loss of fines or aggregate from the surface of the road begins to look rough and and uh, bumpy on the road. Uh, The next slide is a transverse or longitudinal cracking. When they build the roads they there's oftentimes paving joints and so as the road begins to shrink. Um, it it, it's at those weakened places that those cracks begin to first manifest. Um, And the next slide is block cracking and so when we start seeing the road begin to shrink in a lot of places that's that block cracking is a very common type of distress. The first three distresses that are shown there are all environmentally related and I just want to let you know that you can build a brand new road and it can never see a heavy vehicle and it will still exhibit these types of distresses. The fourth distress is actually the um, alligator cracking and that is a fatigue type of uh, distress. It's from the constant heavy loading of the pavement or the vehicles driving over the pavement and bending it and bending it and bending it. And if you think it looks really bad on the top, if we could turn that pavement over, it would actually look worse because it's bending and breaking from the bottom up. Okay, we take uh, seven different distresses and we combine them together into uh, what we call a pavement condition index. And the pavement condition index has been around since World War II, uh, when it was developed to measure the condition of runways. And then since then, we use it to be able to um, talk about the conditions of our roads in California and its used throughout the nation, uh, pavement condition index. It's a scale from 100 being perfectly good, no distresses, all the way to zero, that it's got so many distresses it doesn't have any life left back in it um i wanted to take you on a tour of of golita uh, there's a couple of uh, roads that we can take a look at that, just to give us a feel for different types of of uh, pavement condition indexes so on the left side um, is cathedral oaks it was just paved last week this is the section from alameda um, down to evergreen um, and it's pci is 100 it's in excellent condition the slide next to it is Hollister Avenue. Um, it was actually paved um, a number of years back, but it's from South Patterson down uh, to the uh, east to the city limit, and it has an 83. It's exhibiting weathering and raveling, and so that's why its pavement uh, condition is starting to fall. The next slide <clears throat> is La Patera, and um, La Patera. It, from um, Cathedral Oaks to Carrolldale. It has a PCI of 60. It's it's exhibiting block shrinkage cracking um, and um weathering and raveling. And so the PCI is the, the deterioration, the amount of deterioration starting to add up. So the PCI is starting to come down. Uh, Castilian uh, drive, uh, right off of Los Caneros towards uh, Cortona. Is, uh has a PCI of 36, it's in poor condition. Uh, notice all of the alligator cracking that you can see on that road. Um, and then I wanted to point out Calusa Drive, uh, from Cali Real to uh, Del Norte Drive, uh, has a PCI of, of 22. Notice how the alligator cracking is actually progressing to base failure with lots of, of pop-outs and um, uh, potholes that are developing. And that's considered in, in failed condition. And then this slide just reminds us why we have paved roads um, in the first place. Okay. Um, let's, at this point, let's just review some pavement uh, basics, uh, pavement management basics that we, principles that we can use. Um, and are used uh, very commonly Um, and the first principle that I want us all to be able to walk away with tonight and hopefully you're like reciting this instead of counting sheep if you're trying to go to sleep and that is that we're applying the right treatment to the right pavement at the right time using the right materials. Kind of catchy isn't it? Um, (laughs) Graphically because I'm a visual learner um we can look at this graph and we we see the deterioration curve again and we understand that there's different places along the deterioration curve where different treatments are the most effective and so at the upper end of the uh, you'll see crack sealing, and then the, down at the very bottom you'll see reconstruction and just to illustrate the point of doing the right treatment at the right time we would never take a pavement in good condition and reconstruct it similarly we don't take a pavement that's it needs reconstruction and just put a lot of crack seal on it in both situations you're wasting your time and your money Um, just to familiarize ourselves with the different types of treatments that we were talking about This is a a picture of crack sealing. It's just literally sealing the cracks. It's probably the single most cost effective way that you can preserve your pavements. It's low dollars and you keep the water out. Um, The next is a slurry seal treatment. It's putting a layer of very small aggregates and replacing the fines that have been lost and oil over the road. Think of this like sunscreen for your pavements. Because it's protecting the pavements from the ultraviolet um, effects of the of the sun. When pavements um, are mo- are are deteriorating faster, uh, we use a heavier maintenance treatment called a cape seal. It's putting down a heavy layer of oil that helps fill the cracks. We put chips on it and then cover it with a slurry seal, and uh, to provide a, a smoother surface to ride on. Um, it's a very Um, effective tool uh, for pavements that are really at the at-risk level. Um, Overlays are just simply putting a brand new layer of of asphalt over the existing pavement. The next slide shows reconstruction when a pavement is, is, there's an overlay isn't going to work, or the pavement we find is underdesigned, and it's and it needs to handle heavier um, it, traffic loading, and the traffic index is is high. We need to reconstruct the pavement, uh, and it's uh, the problem is is that's very expensive to do that, and which is why I wanted to show this slide. Um, see those gnarly teeth on that thing. Um, That's a pulverizer, and the reason why I want to show you this is because several sections of Cathedral Oaks, which was under-designed when it was very first built for the amount of traffic that is on it, needed to be uh, beefed up. The sections needed to be beefed up. Well, rather than removing it all and replacing it with all brand new material, we used this full depth reclamation, which grinds up the existing asphalt layer, mixes it with the base, picks up some of the native soil and you treat it and put a new layer of asphalt over the top of it. And it's a very cost effective, um, cheaper way of being able to achieve a a sturdier, stronger road. Um, It's also very uh, environmentally friendly because you're, you're in recycling everything in place and so you're not off hauling your truck so you're saving in greenhouse gases and and um and also also saving the cost of new materials so um, you can pat yourselves on the back because you've done this type of treatment in in golita when you're managing your pavements um as long as I've been doing this is there's only really three ways to manage your payments when you have limited dollars. And that is using um, one of these different types of strategies or a combination of all of them together. Uh, the first is a, uh, is a best first or a top down type management style. So you take your limited dollars and you focus on that upper end of the deterioration curve and the treatments that need to be done there you ignore everything else on the pavements. That's not sustainable because you'll have a whole bunch of good pavements and a whole bunch of really bad pavements and and nothing in the middle. Uh, Or you can take a worse first type of management approach which means that you line up all of your streets and you look at your PCI's and you rank them from the very worst to the very best and you just keep working on the list of, of the worst ones. The problem is is you're dealing with the most expensive treatments when you're doing that and so um, it, it really means that all of your whole system will fall into the worst first category the best type of an approach is a critical point management style approach which is what the the style that that Goleta uses and um, again I'm visual, so I have to see it in graphical form to really understand it. So there's our friend, the deterioration curve. And what it means is is that there are different points along the, the curve right before the treatment is going to fall into the next category. And so critical point management is all about trying to capture those treatments or those pavements that need that treatment before it falls into the next category. And when it falls into the next category, that's significant because the dollars ends up um, costing more. You'll notice that up at the upper end on this, um, the, the slide that we're looking at of where your PCIs are 90 to 70 or 70 uh, to 51, you're dealing with, with very small numbers compared to the rehabilitation numbers or reconstruction numbers further down and so you're trying to capture those pavements and take care of them before they go into the next needed treatment. Okay, Let's jump into where Golita is at right now because it's been a while since I've been able to tell you about where Golita is sitting. So let's run through this. Uh, as a reminder, the uh, The city maintains about 85 centerline miles that's equivalent to driving from here down to the 405 interchange if you were to be traveling south or from here up to Pismo Beach if you were driving northbound 85 miles distance either way Um, that's that's pretty significant. It's a lot of miles. Um, 17 million square feet of pavement. Um, I did a little math into this football season right now. And that's equal to 300 football fields of pavement um, that the city is responsible for managing you right now have an average PCI of 60. That's where the city is sitting at currently. And The current replacement value is three hundred and two million dollars. That's just the pavement that's not curb gutter sidewalk signals. It's just the pavement and so it's easily the city's most expensive asset. Um, This side shows the uh, breakdown by functional classification. And um, you'll notice that your PCI for average PCI's for your arterials are, are much higher than that of your collectors and residentials. Um, it's I just want to point out that it's good management to focus on your uh, focus your, your dollars when you have limited dollars on your most used roads. So that's a um, very common approach. <clears throat> Okay, this slide shows all of the city's streets and the uh, pavement condition by color. And so uh, roads that are in better condition, 100 to 70, are shown in green. Um, pavements that are, have a PCI between 69 and 50 are shown in blue. And then pavements below 50 um, are are shown in yellow, orange, and red. Red being the very worst um, condition or the failed condition. And I believe that's on the website too, isn't it? Not yet? Okay. Um, let's review some funding. Um, Just to provide context for the rest of our discussion that we have here. And so uh, this slide shows uh, three different scenarios that we ran. The first line or green line is uh, the first scenario we ran that is (coughs) unconstrained. And we just said, if we had all the money in the world, what can we do with our system? and it shows that we have a backlog of 75 a half million dollars of streets that need immediate treatment and if we did that you would end up at an 85 PCI overall throughout the whole city. Um, it's, it's significant to point out that in order to maintain that 80 uh, PCI it would cost 8.1 million dollars um, per year to maintain that. I want to call your attention now to the orange line, uh, which is the if we were to uh, maintain a PCI of 60 throughout the city, uh, maintain the pavements at this current condition, uh, it would cost $7.7 million. And then if the city spends $0 on pavement over the next 10 years, they can expect the PCI to drop to a 35. I'd like to turn the slides over to um, my, my co-conspirator here, Mr. Virgin.
21: Thank you, Joe. Next slide, Joe. Next one. This shows the work that has been completed for the 2021 and 2022 pavement project. The 2021 pavement project is highlighted in purple. We repaved 3.8 centerline miles for the 2021 project. The 2022 pavement project highlighted in pink, we repaved 4.7 centerline miles. This represents 10% of our system that we have been able to treat in the last two years. This map shows the repaving work that has taken place on Cathedral Oaks from 2017 to 2022. Note that the green highlighted segment of Cathedral Oaks is included in the 2023 pavement project. The limits of the Cathedral Oaks green segment is from Winchester Canyon Road to Evergreen Drive. The type of treatments that we have performed on Cathedral Oaks from 2017 to 2022 is the following mill and fill, full depth reclamation, and slurry seal depending on the structural requirements. Now I'll turn it back to Mr. Ryrie. Okay, thank
22: you, Mr. Virgin. Let me go up to this slide because I don't want to miss this one, it's an important one. This is the historical trend. Uh, We were able to go back to 2014 and, and put together uh, with the help of your with staff, um, how much money the city has spent on on paving projects. this is construction dollars. so it's when the pay, when the dollars are actually hitting the road. And um, we overlaid that with the uh, PCI, the average PCI of the city. Um, you can see that in 2014 we were we had a much higher PCI a, a 69. And that over time, it has continued to deteriorate. Um, and then uh, the last two years, uh, we've been able to, I consider, turn the corner. And um, start to improve the PCI and maintain the PCI. So to me, the, the takeaway on this slide is consistency. If you can deliver a project consistently, Then you're going to be able to even though that that remember we had talked about seven point seven million dollars needing to happen in order to be able to maintain a 60 PCI. We're able to take what funding is there stretch the dollars do value engineering and look for for other types of of treatments to stretch the dollars and and again to me the big takeaway on this slide is is consistency. So let me share with you now. um, Our plan going forward. We know that um, the next few years that the funding is anticipated to be somewhat tight and uh, for paving and so this is going to be the strategy that we're going to be employing. Uh, First of all, we're going to focus the limited funding on major roads and make sure that we are. Um, using value engineering treatments on the roads, and and again looking for cost-effective ways to to improve and maintain the major roads. So those are your your major arterials and some of your collectors. The second uh, point that we want to point out is is that we're going to adopt a stopgap or or um, a hold together type of an approach on residential and collector streets. Um, we're going to be focusing on the worst first um, with the idea that we want to perform treatments that are intended to keep the pavements in serviceable but safe condition. And these type of treatments include a localized digout repairs, cape seals, uh, and thin maintenance overlays. To hold these streets together until the right treatment can be done on them. The third prong that we're we're employing is that we want to be able to develop all of the upcoming projects to, based on what available f- funding is going to is anticipated. Um, the key for this is it allows us to be able to this these future projects to do future planning and coordination between the departments and the utilities nothing's more embarrassing than paving a street and having someone come back the very next year and cut into it. And so we want to we need to know which streets are in the pipeline and what's happening so that the utility companies can come in and do their work and then. As we saw on that one slide that I shared, it's going to it's going to help us be more consistent. So it's going to keep the design and construction schedule continuing on on a on a um, repeat basis as we keep going forward. And then the fourth prong is is we want to track the the system. We want to know what's happening with the with the paving conditions and and the cost. We've seen costs go up significantly. And in, in the last year plus where where the inflation has driven all parts of construction up quite a bit. And so in oh, this so so this strategy oh, if I could not push so many buttons. I'm going to lose my button license here. Okay, so this strategy. The highlights of it are going to keep your major roads in good condition. Um, These roads are the most used and they're vital for the city's economy. Um, We're going to keep the worst streets in town serviceable and safe um, until the correct treatment can be performed. And then we're going to keep the delivery of projects organized and consistent. And as we pointed out, that's um, There's value in that. Okay. I'll turn it over to Mr. Virgin.
21: These are the candidate streets for the future pavement project based on anticipated budget. The 2023 pavement project base bid includes finishing Cathedral Oaks from Winchester Canyon Road to Evergreen Drive. Also Coluso Drive from Cal to Del Norte Drive. And lastly, Phelps Road from Pacific Oaks Road to Stork Road. We are also asking the contractors to provide pricing on the alternates that we will present to Council depending on the bid prices. The alternates include slurry seal on Carrolldale Place, Carrolldale Lane, and Hollister Avenue, a mill fill on Dearborn Place, and North Fairview Road from the 101 to Carriel. Lastly, localized digouts followed by a micro surface on Stork Road. Please note that tonight's pavement item includes staff recommendation to Council to approve the plans and specs and to authorize staff to advertise uh, for notice of inviting bids for the 2023 pavement project. Thank you for your time. This concludes our presentation.
0: Thank you. Questions?
18: Member Caston, Yeah. Um, so, first, you had shown the graph with the uh, PCI, the decline of PCI. Mm-hmm. Is it essentially we started at a 69 in 2014 and we're at 60 now? And is that largely we underinvested over the 10-year period and that led to the decline in the quality of the PCI, of uh, the average across the city? Good.
22: Absolutely directly, yes.
18: OK. Um, and, well, the, the um, one other in the next, in the slide, the slide that followed, you had shown the three, three lines that showed different paths. Uh, one was your money is no object. The other was a 60 PCI, just keeping what we have, and the third was, uh, screw it, we'll use horses.
7: Mm-hmm. Uh,
18: for that first one, the um, money is no object, you ended up with an 81, I believe, PCI uh, as the end result for a total of $14.8 million. There we go. However, I understand that For us to achieve our 67 PCI target, it would be 13 and change to 13 million. uh, I forgot how much 13 point something to hit that 13.1. So it just seems 13.1 versus 14.8, they're pretty close, and yet there's such a huge distance between the the various PCI targets, eighty-one and the other 67.
22: Um, Madam Mayor, Council Member Kasdan, that's a great observation. Uh, the key is, the difference is, is that what we're seeing is there's an immediate influx of, of funds that are addressing all of the, the um, uh, outstanding pavement needs. And once you make that investment, 75 and dollars, then it only takes the eight million dollars to maintain it at 80 million, or 80 PCI. And so there's an, it assumes that you're in, um, making a large investment right at the very beginning. And so averaging it over the life of the pavement, which is one of the scenarios that we had run if you were to say okay I'm obviously doing 75 million dollars worth road work is impossible it would no. cripple no, no, no.
18: I, I don't think that's why that's why we have banks right you know I mean that's you if this makes sense to get a loan to be able to fund something an investment of this sort so that our long-term, capital costs are significantly reduced, that might make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a justification for things like that. So it's not, I wouldn't sort of write off that it can't be done. Obviously, it can't be done with our current capital, uh, but if it, you know, if there's a case to be made that it's really a big upfront investment makes significant sense, you know, it's something that we should be putting on the table. We have a ton of other things out there, and I recognize that. We have a lot of competing projects and so forth. But any time we see, to me, something where an initial investment will really
22: reap long-term benefits, I'm, I'm interested. And that's the intent, uh, Council Member Kazin, that's the intent of these different types of scenarios to give you those, that flexibility in being able to do what-if uh, thinking. The $13 million is a slow climb going from from the uh, 60 PCI up, up, up until we get to the, the uh, council goals.
18: So using current funding amounts and just trying to keep it at a 13 million-ish mm-hmm. level, and that's why it doesn't go much higher, even though the annual average turns out to be fairly close. So if we were able to come up with a big upfront investment, it over the 10-year cycle it could be much cheaper. Then it could be down to 7 million a year on on a 10-year average. Mm-hmm. Is that right?
22: Yeah, uh, council member Kasdan, that's that is correct and I have I get the privilege of working with other agencies and some agencies have taken that approach where they make a large investment as fast as they can. To get the PCI up, and then and then deal with it in a more um, at a maintenance level. When I say maintenance, maintenance treatments are being done, which are less expensive, and therefore the uh, overall cost to maintain is is easier to swallow. Well, that's certainly very intriguing to hear.
18: Um, I had one other question: the seven point seven that we had in the budget before inflation hit before we saw this rapid escalation of cost. Was that expected to get us to the, 6. the 67 PCI target?
22: Yes, using the, the, the cost that, that we had um, based on, on the um, bids that, that were received, and using those numbers uh, to project forward, yes, that, that, those were the numbers. And then we saw what happened with inflation and everything went up and it wasn't just inflation. There was also I would point out that there was some regulations that also uh, were imposed uh, that affected the, the construction costs for instance for instance um, um, independent truckers uh, where in the past if they were an owner operator they could pay themselves whatever they wanted to pay themselves. Well the state came out and said No, 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 you have to pay prevailing wages to yourself and so that raised up a lot of trucking costs and so it was little things like that that we saw that added to the overall cost, the cost of materials. Has been going up, but it isn't that isn't what is driving it it's it's some of the other items that we're experiencing.
18: Are there any cities, you know, nearby cities that actually restrict some of those larger, heavier vehicles, which I assume really degrade uh, degrade roads? Um, Is that, in any of our adjoining cities, is that something they have done, or is that some, have we ever, is that wise policy?
22: uh, Council Member Kasdan, um, I can't think of any in uh, Santa Barbara County. Um, I know in Ventura County, there's uh, the city of Oxnard has uh, restrictions on certain roads. I know in other cities, I have seen designated truck routes be be used to where when there's trucking the the trucks are only allowed to be on those those segments. Therefore, the roads are are designed to handle the, the loading and and not be spread on those roads that have they can be more impacted by under be, by being under-designed. Yeah,
18: okay. All right, those are my questions for now, thank you.
14: Uh, Mayor Tem uh, Reyes-Martin. Thank you, I have just a couple of questions to <clears throat> start, and I, I really want to thank staff for bringing this forward. It's such great information. Um, it's a way to be very transparent with the public about what has happened and what we plan to do, and. What the investment has been we get i get a lot of questions um, of, from residents in my district about the state of our roads. so this is really helpful and i'm also a visual learner so i really appreciate <laughs> all the graphs um, one thing that i'm trying to um, make sure i have correct because there wasn't a slide about um, budget or funding um, so the slide that we have up right now says seven point, um 7 million on average to stay at 60. Um, so do is that what we are currently budgeting is 7.7 million a year.
16: Mayor Protem Reyes Martinez, sorry. So currently we in our staff report we have budgeted approximately 5.14 million for the work to be done for construction. And we're estimated, um, starting next year, we should have approximately 6 million to do design, construction, construction management, and environmental.
14: Thank you. Um, so I think what I'm trying to, you know, then get at is, we are not even getting to that, that 60 of maintenance. Um, and so I think that is a really important policy and budget discussion that this council should have. Um, you can see from that graph of the you know, inconsistent investment um, what the effects of that are. Um, and I think that we absolutely need to be more disciplined, perhaps, about making that annual investment um, just to try to get to 60 um, is what we're really talking about right now. Um, I also appreciate the questions Council Member Kazin asked about what's possible um, or to even consider like a large investment to try to get us to a better place because things are not going to get better (laughs) they're only going to continue to deteriorate Um, and i keep hearing over and over that it is the city's most expensive asset um, and it is deserving of more consistent and higher investment and i would 100 percent support that Um, the other question i had you know I, i really appreciated the information about the weight of the vehicles. And something that I've read um, about is electric vehicles. Um, and I don't know that we have data on what share of vehicles in our city are electric vehicles. But I would assume that that share is going to continue to increase. Um, and electric vehicles are much heavier than gas vehicles. So is that something that we should, we should start to consider? Or is that something that in your field you're, you're t- starting to take into consideration?
22: uh madam mayor and and council member um raise martin yes we are grappling with with the electric vehicles on on a couple of different levels um right now we have um a gas tax that's that is pay at the pump and uh, that is a use tax and it you know, in my mind, it's always seemed pretty fair. You're using the road, you're paying more gas. You know, you so you pay more, and um, but electrical vehicles are aren't using mm-hmm. that, and the state is raising registration fees and other things like that. But it is they are grappling with how does everyone pay their fair share, and yes, um, electric vehicles and buses are significantly heavier mm-hmm. than their counterpart gas vehicles and and what that means is is that we're having to um, design the roads to be more robust if we're going to get the the life expectancy out of them, which equates to having to spend more money on the roads.
14: Thank you. Those are my questions for now. Any other questions? Council Member Carriaco.
10: Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, one of the fun things of, about this job is we also get to go and like look back at previous reports, and you can find them really easily in the Granicus app on our iPad. Um, one of the things I found interesting was when we had what was only a six-page staff report in late 2021, uh, going into the 2022 pavement uh, plan year, we were estimating that we would only contribute $730,000 from our general fund. Towards the pavement program, for the uh, fiscal year 21-22 adopted budget, the, the dollar figure that I saw in the report at that time was two million six hundred and forty-three, two million six hundred forty-three thousand eight hundred twenty-two dollars. Just by contrast, our general fund contribution for 2023 is two million six hundred three thousand seven hundred twenty-nine right now. So we're already putting as much money now into from the general fund as we just spent on pavement factoring in all the different revenue sources so i mean i one thing i don't want to get lost here as even as we struggle to find ways to in continue to increase our investment in in our roads and in our pavement program in particular i don't want to lose sight of the fact that we are putting more in and we're putting a lot more in and the, the, we're able to do that now from our general fund to a, a greater degree because we've increased the different way, uh, uh, you know, uh, in a very significant way, the amount of money that's coming into our general fund. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, but now a question. Um, at the beginning of the presentation, you, you talked about a weighted average for our collective pavement. Can you talk a little bit about what is a weighted average and, and how is it weighted? Like How did you get to 60 PCI?
22: um madam mayor and and council member carrie Carrie carriaco carriaco i I almost it was coming out but it wasn't all the way there um it is um a weighted average is is based on looking at the uh we do it weighted on pavement area so um the best way to think of it is is it's not like a straight average so if we have i'm going to make it real simple just one single Road, and and the road is is um, is half of it is is um, a zero, and the other half is at hundred. It's going to average and be fifty, um, and um, and and still, if you were to have that that road segment, and it was eighty percent was hundred, and and twenty percent of it was at a zero if you average those two numbers together, it's still 50, using a straight average. So what we're trying to do is with the weighted average is we're looking at trying to break it down and account for how much pavement area is at the zero and how much pavement area is at the 100. And that's what we refer to as a weighted average. <laughs> um, does that help answer your question?
10: It, it does, thank you. Okay. Um my next question I'm looking for um, sorry, I'm looking for a particular slide uh, can, can we go to slide nope sorry that's sorry give me a second I have to go it's a big packet I got to go back the other direction. Um, can you go to slide uh, 31? So I think this is a, a really important slide to kind of just... It kind of just encapsulates where either A, our investments have been, or B, where where have we been able to maintain higher versus lower uh, conditions within the different categories. Um, Hollister is particularly interesting to me. Um, Can you kind of zoom in a little bit on the eastern end, kind of by Patterson, Hollister and Patterson? so that the screen shows the area between the 217 and Patterson along Hollister. And if no, that's okay, I'll just make my point without it. Yeah. It's not doing that, okay. So one thing that I'm noticing is that pretty much right when you get to the boundary of the city at Hollister and Patterson, it goes from green in the county to orange as soon as it gets into, this, into the city area, like right at, right at the hospital and it's orange pretty much all the way to um, the Georgie Farms on one side and the Steward Hotel on on the other side. That's a a pretty significantly used road, um, not just by city residents, but by county residents. Um, And it's between 49 and 25 PCI. Can can we just talk a little bit about what are our plans for that stretch of road the next several years? Is that on the list to be be addressed?
7: County can pay for it.
22: Daniel, we can show probably the very last slide.
16: Council member Kiriakou, sorry, we're going to the last slide. So you're asking for Patterson.
10: Hollister between Patterson and the 217, basically. Because I'm seeing a lot of orange there.
16: It's shown to be done in the 2028 pavement project.
10: 2020 what?
16: 2028.
10: 2028, okay. Um, and then my next question, I promise I don't have a lot more, um, we're looking at doing some different work in um, a long hollister um, between Kinman and Orange. And a lot of that, a lot of that's going to involve some pretty significant road work that I don't think we're considering to be part of our pavement program. Um, our plans are to do, an, is it an overlay there? And I I promise I have a nexus to the pavement program.
23: Uh, Um, Mayor Prodi, Councilmember Kiriakou, you're referring to our um, Project Connect and our interim striping project. And with uh, Project Connect, there are portions of Hollister that get repaved, both uh, from about the 217 to to Kellogg. So that section gets repaved. And then also from Kinman West to uh, a Fairview is where we're intending to repave Hollister as part of the interim striping project. And one of the things we're looking at with the interim striping project, as the council is aware, is that we are uh, negotiating that with our contractor that um, won the uh, Project Connect uh, project. And uh, so we're... We're, of course, mindful of our costs. And at the time, we were pretty adamant about uh, paving from Kinmen to uh, to uh, Fairview. And I think we're going to be also looking at some potentially uh, less uh, lesser treatments, um, the cape seals, the slurry seals, that kind of thing, in an effort to potentially keep that cost down. What that won't do is that won't address some of the um, ADA issues that we talked about in the past, that kind of thing, but what, what it will do is provide a new surface that will help the new striping look correct and not be confusing to the public. So I think in, in, the, in the mix of doing that negotiations, there is potential for a different treatment than other than an
10: overlay, but we're going to look at that. Okay. Um, I, I, guess, I guess what I'm having a little bit of trouble understanding is this, according to the kind of the PCI map, this, the stretch that's in the project area is either green or blue, which are on the higher end of condition, yet we've had previous conversations about the poor condition of that road. And so I'm, I'm trying to square, square that, right? Because I, for me, one of the justifications for the project was to really f- fix that road. We had talked about there being ADA issues caused by the crowning. Right. Um, the deterioration of, yeah. of the road. We had talked about you know you can pay pay a lot now, or you can pay a lot more later. And that w- when we when we had that conversation at council, part of that conversation had to do with that that stretch of Hollister. So I'm just I'm trying to understand. So is there new information about the condition of the road, or new technology available to us that leads us to be able to have a more cost effective uh, solution for that part of Hollister in terms of the con- fixing the road?
23: Uh, Mayor Prodi, Councilmember Kiriakou in particular that section of road while the payment itself is in a re- reasonable condition uh, There's other aspects of payment including as you mentioned the crowning and the ADA uh, Obligations that the city has however uh, We also want to make sure that we're ex- expending our funding as efficiently as possible so we are in the thick of the negotiations with the contractor Um, But one of the things we we in public works thought we should look at is a a lesser treatment uh, if that's necessary to keep costs down. But we would like to do the overlay because I think it would address the other types
10: of issues that that roadway has, in particular the crowning. Okay, Uh, thank you. Yeah, I just, I want to make sure that we're being really careful and really intentional because as the, uh, towards the beginning of the presentation when we talked about things like truck trips, we talked about with the withdrawals that are made by truck trips being disproportionately uh, damaging to the road compared to other use types. I would just point out the, the number of truck trips that come through that section. I would argue that that arterial road uh, has more of the bigger truck trips coming in for deliveries. Uh, they're actually resting on, on the pavement for an extended period of time while they're doing their deliveries, then moving on, then doing another delivery, et cetera, et cetera. So I just I want to make sure that we don't um, in our, in our attempts to be careful with money and to not spend more than we have to in certain places. I just want to make sure we don't accidentally underinvest when we're doing so much work on that road and risk having it get ripped up pretty bad, pretty quick, just because the types of vehicles that are still going to come down there, just because we're we're attempting to make it be more of a downtown and attempting. Uh, to reduce some of the throughput there over time, there, some of the trucks are still going to have to go there for their delivery. So I'm just, I'm a little nervous about that.
23: Uh, Mayor Prodi, Councilmember Member Curiaco, uh really appreciate the comment. And just wanted to let you know that was something we were looking at with the negotiations. And certainly we'll bring back those options uh, when we finalize the negotiations. So something the city council will be able to weigh in on. Uh, just and merely want to disclose that it's something we felt we should look at given the, the overall cost of everything.
21: Okay,
10: thank you. And just the last thing, it's really more of a comment. I just want to acknowledge there's a, a lot more green in Old Town than there was a, a few years ago uh, on some of those streets where the Old Town sidewalk project happened. I just want to acknowledge your good work there and thank you for making some of those important investments.
23: Uh, Mayor Prody, Councilmember Kiriaco, I, I would point out that we we did do that. We paved the roads and, and uh, did the uh, essentially with the overlay treatment on the roads in, in Old Town. And that was actually, part of that project was not to do that originally. It was to just do a patchwork of repairs around where we put in the bulb outs and the, and the new sidewalk, that kind of thing. And Public Works at the time made the decision and recommended to the city council that we actually go forward with paving the entire roads because why not? We're already there. Um, maybe we'll get some economies of scale and it turned out to be a good efficient use of our funding. So that was sort of the opposite, where we're, we're really looking at how we could maximize um, uh, the conditions of the roads and our funding at the same time. and It worked out great. So thank you for the compliment.
0: Council Member Richards.
3: Thank you. Uh, well, I first want to just thank staff and, and our consultants for the report that was presented today. I think this is one of the clearest uh, illustrations that I've seen of, of the the pavement condition it problem and 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 the budget uh, aspect of it and, and what we're doing about it. So, uh, I've learned a lot from this and I really want to say that I, I appreciate the really clear uh, explanation of the issues. Um, if we could turn to slide 34, you know, regarding um, the budget, you know, one of the points that I want to just note here is that it really seems that there's a pretty clear, uh, so slide 34, that's the one with the, uh, it shows the, uh, the condition index over time and the amount of money that we've invested in the budget over time. I'll wait until you get that up. Oh, technical difficulties, okay. Yeah, and, and for me this uh, really, you know, brings home the point <laughs> that, that there is a, a very clear correlation between how much we invest in our, in our roads. And what we're getting from it, and and it seems to me that, um, you know, that when you know that when we are investing, that that it's making a difference, um, and I think you you know I think you would agree that that we've heard before that we can either spend a lot of money now or a lot more money later, and it seems that this is illustrating the, the point that we have some catching up to do. that that, that once we start falling behind it takes even more money to get um, up to the point where we want to be. You know, and I think that goes to uh, Councilmember Member Kasdan's point that maybe, maybe, you know, and I, I'm not necessarily agreeing, but I understand the point that, you know, a large investment, you know, uh, today may help in the long run because it would then uh, reduce our lo- uh, long-term costs over time. Um, I also think that this shows that, you know, I think there was a missed opportunity. You know, uh, we didn't spend any money in 2020, uh, and uh, that that really has set us behind, and over the last few years, uh, you know, we are looking at, you know, even with the the major investment that we've had over the last couple years, we're just maintaining, and, and, you know, we're not really going up at this point. So, um, you know, I think the voters were wise to approve the sales tax measure in 2022, and that is allowing us to increase our investment in, the, in this year and in the coming years. Um, but we really could have used that money uh, sooner, uh, and I think that would have made a big difference if we had had that, um, that sales tax a couple years earlier. Um, if we could t- um, turn to slide 31, uh, there's a, a question that I have. You know, one of the, um, and I know we can't uh, zoom in on that, but um, if you look closely and, and I can see that Phelps Road if, oh, actually, we can now. So if you can zoom in on Phelps Road, mm, cool. it appears green in this. And I know that this has been an issue that we've heard. Uh, you know, we know that Phelps Road is not in a very good condition, as is indicated. So I, I would just say that you know, I, I would want to make sure that this uh, map is, is looked at again closely right. because that, that is one that we hear yes. about uh, <laughs> repeatedly. And, in fact, I know we have uh, one or more letters uh, for today's meeting about this, this section of road from Stork uh, to Pacific uh, Oaks. So I, I just want to make note of that. I believe that that section is on the this year's uh, 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 plan. So maybe we're being optimistic that once that's done, <laughs> that, that that will we're be So I, I just want to make note of that. Councilmember
16: Richards, we'll go back to the map and verify. Okay. I...
22: I um, yes, please. Madam Mayor and, and Councilmember Richards, g- great observation and it gets back to um one of the the question that uh, that council member kiriako mentioned um with average pcis if you drive phelps road going westbound exactly it's nice you drive eastbound it's terrible Mm -hmm. and so that a road like that that's split it 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 gets masked in in the pci data uh which is why part of of plan development is is not only just sitting looking at your computer and seeing the pcis but actually going out and putting your eyes on the
3: road and saying here's here's what's really going on on this road great thank you and i appreciate that clarification because i and i and i understand that point that yeah one going one way it's a lot better than going the other way so yes Thank you for that, and, and, and thank you for just you know, uh, confirming uh, the condition of these on here. If we could turn to slide 36, uh, another point that I wanted to just make was that you know, we've, we've seen uh, this is the one on Cathedral Oaks, and we've noticed a, a, a big difference, and we used to hear a lot of complaints about Cathedral Oaks. We still do, but now they're they're uh, limited to just the section that has not been completed. And so, um, as was noted, you know the city has made a major investment, and in, in much of this area of Cathedral Oaks, as we heard, was was not um, built to today's standards and to you know to the the current conditions that that uh, of the traffic that is on there. Um, and and the, the improvements that we have made on that have been major, you know, reconstruction of, of, of much of the portions of that road. So we're hopeful that that will, moving forward, you know, last us a, a longer amount of time. And, and I'm hopeful that after this uh, latest section is completed then, then we'll have a, 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 very, a, a road in a, in, a, in a really good condition uh, for the entire length of the city. So. I just want to make note of that. I also want to note also that on slide 30, uh, 39 to Councilmember Kiriakou's question, it appears to me that, uh, that that section that he was concerned about on Hollister Avenue from Patterson, <laughs> two seventeen is actually uh, scheduled to be done in 2026, not 2028, if, I, if I'm correct? Okay. Okay. Very good. Well. Glad to share some good news with you. Okay. All right. Moved moved up two years. Yeah, look at that. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much.
14: Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you. Um, Maybe one of my last comments here. Uh, I imagine staff wanted to avoid um, council quarreling or lobbying for particular streets um, because the reality is we could all do that. Um, And the reality is there's a whole lot of orange everywhere um, in the city. Um, you know, I know we all have streets that we hear about most often. For me, it's Berkeley, and I know that that's not on this list. Um, but I know that there are lots and lots of places throughout the city um, that are popular in uh, council hearing about it. Um, so I guess the question I have is you know, when we get to the mid year budget um, point, um, I hope that we can have a discussion about. What is available to supplement budget that we already have? Um, what can we do? What's, what's feasible? What are some options? Um, to try to get you know, either some of these streets moved up, um, or add more streets, or what, you know, whatever makes most sense. Um, I really appreciate this methodology because it is more objective, um, and you have clear criteria. Um, and then it's not left up to us to uh, thumb wrestle over what street comes next. Um, but I think the bottom line is, um, we, for me, that we've really got to find more uh, more investment, so thank you.
8: Okay. Madam Mayor, yes, if I can many, just clarify please. a point I think I heard, and I think I know what you intended. You said mid-year, but I think you actually meant mid-cycle. Meant. Mid-year is going to be in February. We're not going to have a lot of new information, but when we come back in May and June, uh, yes, to your point.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Councilmember Kasdan.
18: Yeah. Um, so first just an observation that um, comparing how we're doing to 2021 it's a little mischievous because it was a recession and you you we can give ourselves a pass on our underinvestment in that period cuz you know it was tough budget years and uh so we're not that we were not that egregious in those years we were using it for our party fund or something like that <laughs> Um, So, that's not to say there's some progress, but I think we, first of all, to go to Councilmember Reyes-Martin's point, we aren't at 60. We don't have the investment adequate to hit 60 right now. We're under-invested even for that level. That we've got to get, you know, we've got to get to that. We just passed the sales tax. We just passed the sales tax and we should at least be able to hit the current level, let alone the actual target that we have created. Uh, so I would think that should be somewhere to find that money to get to that point. Um, I mean, yeah, I was the could you at some point, the 67 target, that, was that a legislative action, a resolution on our part? All right, so then we have a, a stated policy position. When the, at some opportunity, we should see how to get there. What it, it might be a cost that we're not willing to bear. You know, it might be that too many items that we think are essential or critical are, are, uh, would have to be sacrificed, and we don't want to take that. But at least we should see what it is and, and be in a position to make that judgment. Because we have a policy document. We stated it. Um, so, and, and, and just one last question that occurs to me is um, the 7.7 million, which we aren't funding yet, um, to hit the PCI, you show that number in the 60, just straight across without mm-hmm. uh, varying. Oh, it's right here, actually. Uh, yet, 60 is a point where you say it's fair to, um, what is it, deteriorating, or or
22: it? Um, uh, it's fair or at risk. Or at yes, risk.
18: Yeah. Would that, with if we did maintain the 7.7, wouldn't, we, wouldn't that number decline, actually, the 60 PCI, actually fall off? Given the nature, in other words, if we were at 80, I can imagine it would stay you know, we could invest the same amount. But at 60, I would think it would it would fall a bit even if we had the same investment because you'd start hitting some repairs and more expensive things that you have to do.
22: Uh, Madam Mayor, uh, Council Member Kasdan, um the scenarios that we we ran are we, we asked the, the algorithm how much funding does it take to maintain the target PCI of 60 and that's the, the numbers that came back were on average 7.7 and so um, now those are theoretical numbers I want to point out on the one slide with the with the green bar graphs and the red always declining PCI the last two we did not spend $7.7 million and. I was anticipating a question on that where you might say, Hey, you said it's 7.7, but we just spent We just did the last two years and we didn't spend that. That's because we're dealing with in the program. It's theoretical and in practice, we're employing, um, expertise tricks of the trade to get the same amount of life out of the pavement for, for trying to, um, well, we just call it value engineering. We stretch the dollars is what we do through engineering practices.
18: Okay, I would have thought actually looking at this that if you remember during the pandemic, those those months and where the roads were just empty, yeah. that would have uh, really done something for our PCI, but anyway, or thank you very much.
22: Uh, uh, yeah, no. Madam, Madam Mayor and Council Member Kasdan, to follow up on that point, uh, Yes, and then we got hit by some really bad weather after that and that that rain just accelerated the deterioration that was just waiting to happen because we had been dry for so many years prior to that. Oh, so in fact,
18: lots of rain bad for roads.
22: Oh, yes, yes.
0: Well, I was going to ask that question. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> God! No. <I>, my apologies, <laughs> no, Madam Mayor, I'm for stealing joking, your thunder. A great question. I didn't catch it. But as usual, my colleagues have asked excellent questions and it's left me with not much to ask because it's been asked, answer, asked and answered. But I do have, um, I'm, first of all, great, great report. I really appreciate all the work put into this. Um, I wish there were, and I hope more people are watching this, because it really explains that, because we hear often how, you know, we're not putting enough money, we're not doing enough, but you look back on what we have done, and yes, we're not exactly where we want to be, but um, we're talking about how to get there. And when I started in 2010, I remember the PCI was uh, 70, Mm
7: -hmm.
0: but we were only putting in $500,000. And I, I always thought that's not going to work. <laughs> you know? So um, um, great report. Uh, I do have just one quick question um, on Cathedral Oaks. Uh, since it was brought to my attention, and I think we all received the email from a gentleman who made the comment about um, the trucks that are coming from a quarry um, down, the, down the road on county, county property, but they're using... Uh, Cathedral Oaks to go to um, access the freeway to deliver their load and quite heavy, I would assume, um, are we using something really uh, that will be able to withstand that weight and last a lot? Because we know now that there's that traffic that's going through there. And it's it's. I'm just wondering what kind of what we're using for that
22: particular stretch. Uh, Madam Mayor, I can answer that for you. Um, the and let's go back to our bank account analogy except we're not going to use dollars we're going to use an engineering term called an equivalent single axle load and so that that's mm-hmm. the measurement and if you want to have lunch or a coffee or whatever i can really get into the details yeah, I bet you that can. it's super exciting <laughs> <laughs> I anyway have no doubt. um Uh, the kind of stuff that you just sit at night and go "Ooh, that's fun but anyway (laughs) an equivalent single axle load is a way to equate all of the the um different weights of vehicles and we use it all the time to be able to describe that so a um the uh, the the road initially cathedral oaks was designed to um, a, a traffic index of seven um, that equals a bank account of 121,000 easels. Each time one fully loaded truck goes by, um, that's legal, 18,000-pound axle weights, um, it is a um, it's a withdrawal of of about four easels. And so you can see that if you were to divide four into 121,000, it's not going to last that long, mm-hmm. and which is why Cathedral Oaks was falling apart. Um, we are now designing that to a 9 TI. A 9 TI is equal to 1 million easels And so the bank account is much larger, and it's, so it's, its life expectancy is, is longer.
7: Oh.
22: Does that help answer the question?
0: Yeah, it does. Thank you. Okay. Um, Well, I'm going to see if we have any uh, questions from the public.
1: If there are any members of the public that wish to speak, would you please use the raise hand feature? We do have one paper comment on request to speak form from Kim Stanley, followed by Michael Iza on Zoom.
11: Hello again, Mayor Parody and council members. Um, I am representing Move Santa Barbara County tonight, and it's fortuitous that this discussion happened on the same night as e bike awareness week because, wow, what could you do with that money? Future thinking. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> more bike lanes, yeah. more people walking, micro mobility. Um that's not my main point, but um, my, our main point tonight is, please do whatever you can to make residents safer when they walk, ride bikes and use transit. We need safety enhancements along all roadways, and the least expensive and fastest way to implement them is during repaving projects. Please take all opportunities after resurfacing roads to add buffered bike lanes, protected bike lanes, high visibility crosswalks for improved pedestrian and bike safety. Stork Road south of Hollister affects UCSB students and also families who attend Isla Vista Elementary. Sections of Los Carneros approaching the 101, those overcrossings are a barrier to biking. Can something be done with paint and bollards? Cambridge and Princeton are near Kellogg School. Is there anything that can be done to increase the safety of families traveling on those streets to get to Kellogg Elementary? These are the kinds of questions we hope you will ask yourselves before you pave the roads again in the exact same formation that they've already been paved which does not encourage more people to walk and bike to their destination. When people feel safe to walk and bike, the city will save millions. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Ebling. did
0: you want to respond to any of that? Because I saw you shaking your head over there in, uh, in approving. <laughs>
23: yeah, uh, Mayor Prody uh, and council members, uh, A couple thoughts came to mind with that comment from kim which is great um uh, first that if you look at some of our past pavement projects almost all of our pavement projects we have taken the opportunity to do some restriping buffered bike lanes that kind of thing and so we do always look for those uh, opportunities not just pavement projects but all our capital projects that involve roadways so we are constantly looking at that and i think uh, we are in, in the thick of preparing a update on our bicycle and pedestrian master plan for the city council. And I think we we will definitely be talking about some of those types of accom- accomplishments in that presentation to really show how uh, we we do take those opportunities with all the different projects, including pavement projects. So um, a good example of that is um, uh, Cathedral Oaks from, uh, say, Los Caneros uh, east to Fairview, where we especially behind um, uh, the Coom- oh, gosh. Goleta Valley Junior High School um, on, on Cathedral Oaks where we reduced it from uh, uh, one, two lanes in each direction to one lane in each direction and added significant buffered bike lanes. So that's a good example and we've been doing that in many locations throughout the city and we lo- uh, it's, it's a great way to do that and we always will.
0: Okay, great, thank you.
1: And our next speaker is Michael Isa If you can please unmute yourself.
24: Hi, Mayor and Council. Um, Really appreciate the opportunity to speak. Um, And I really do appreciate the work that public work has been doing to uh, address uh, some of the improving some of the bike infrastructure when they do repaving. Um, but what what I'm going to give the council tonight is 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 really a win. What I, what I think is really a win win, which is something you guys don't get too often. So I hope to give you guys a win win. And and I, what I want to emphasize is the use of bollards when we do um, uh, a repavement project. So these bollards are just an added physical separation between. Uh, pedestrian and bike lane infrastructure and road u- and, and and car users uh, vehicle users um, I, I haven't seen that being implemented in the projects and I, I think it's a very effective very cheap 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 way to increase safety for uh, the roads mo- most vulnerable users so I wanna I wanna um, ask, that Public Works, please consider those types of features when doing a repavement project. Uh, I think these things are pretty cheap to buy, pretty cheap to implement, um, and I think it's a real win-win because basic, you know, the bottom line is there's, there's just never enough money for safety, and I think this is a very cheap way and effective way to improve safety for road users. Thank you.
0: Thank you. There are any
1: other members of the public wishing to speak? Would you please use the raise hand feature and I will call on you? And there are no responses.
0: Thank you. Okay, Councilmember Richards.
3: Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment. I, I appreciate the public comments about the improvements to bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure. I was one of the people who asked for the. The report that we're going to receive, I believe it's on February 20th, if, if that schedule holds um, for an update on the bicycle pedestrian master plan to find out, you know, the progress of what we've been doing. Uh, I know our public works director pointed out that, you know, that there have been some improvements and, um, I, I, you know, Cathedral Oaks is one of the great examples that there is a a bicycle lane and a, and a separate a separation, not with ballers, but with some paint at least, so that there is some physical difference, you uh, know, distance between uh, where the traffic uh, is and the bicycles are. So I think that does improve the safety. Um, I, I I think there there are a number of other uh, improvements that have been identified in our pedestrian uh, bicycle pedestrian master plan. Where we automatically will make these improvements as we repave and and, and do th- certain things. I did want to ask our public works uh, staff to respond to that issue of the bollards in particular. And you know, I know that we have like kind of uh, separated bicycle lanes or or divide it. Do we include bollards in that? Are, are we adding any, or is there a plan at this point to add any on any of our streets?
23: Uh, Mayor Perotti, uh, Councilmember Richards, we are always looking for those improvements to meet the, the policy of the Bicycle and Pedestrian Master Plan, as you pointed out. And as you also pointed out, a good example of that is the buffered bike lanes on the n- newer paved sections of from for example, from Los Caneros uh, West to Glen Annie. Uh, that's called a Class 4 um, bike lane. Uh, there's... Four classes now of bike lanes. Class one is just a route. Class two is a bike lane on a road. Uh, actually, I'm saying this backwards. Gosh. Um, class three is the the just a route. A class two is the bike lanes, and a class one is separated um, paved um, uh, bike path essentially. Now there's this newer concept called class four, which is a separated bike lane. It has that buffer between the traveled way of the cars and the in the bike lane. We are looking for opportunities with those. We are careful about where we install the bollards. Um, we have done that in a couple locations. Um, it, they're, they're challenging from a couple different perspectives. Uh, they're not as inexpensive as you might think. Uh, cars tend to hit them a lot. And so we've had to adjust to, uh, this might sound really funny, but it, to a type of bollard that can take more hits from cars, but they become a lot more expensive. So exa- for example, Uh, the bollards that are on Kyrie Al just west of Fairview um, uh, those bollards that set costs uh, around $30,000 to install it and every so often we're going to replace the whole set Um, the other issue with that type of bollard especially in that location is how we do street sweeping Um, Mm -hmm. and right now that's very challenging Um, we need to do the street sweeping just for the sake of the street but also in terms of our stormwater management program and we're in the process of figuring out how we're going to street sweep around those bollards because we can't get a, a normal size uh, commercial street sweeper in there um, so we're probably going to do it end up doing a lot of that by hand so there's another cost on how we do it so we just want to be careful about where we use bollards um, we do follow our engineering standards um, and there are some updated standards in the california manual on uniform traffic control devices which you heard uh, Mr. Rapp talked about earlier was something like red curbs, but it also does color uh, cover bike lanes and, and other roadway geomet- geometric designs. And so we'll, we'll continue to look for the opportunities, but that's kind of how we think about it.
3: Okay, thank you. Sure. You know, and I would just say, you know, if we think about the cost that it is uh, to replace the bollards, as was mentioned, because cars are hitting them, think about the cost uh, if there was a bicycle in the lane at the time. and. Thank goodness that we have those bollards, because if you can think that cars are hitting, uh, you know, drifting into the lane of uh, bicycles with a bollard there, um, they would probably be doing that more so if the bollards weren't there. Thank you.
0: Council Member Uh,
3: Thank you, Madam Mayor.
10: Uh, Just a quick quick response to something. Um, I know there was a lot of talk about um, Measure B and how much it's helping or not helping. And I, I would just remind my colleagues that, um, you know, A, we delayed it, but also B, for the next two years, we're having to set aside about one million seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for the next each of the next two years, about three and a half million total, uh, in, to, meet, to be to com, be uh, comporting with our reserve policy. So that's three and a half million dollars that we don't have access to, and a and a tax that took a little while to actually get implemented. So I just wanted to mention that and then just the only other thing, I know there was perhaps some consternation or concern about my comments about um, Hollister. That was really m- less about a pet project and really more about the, the timing of when we're scheduled to improve that pavement when we have a, a very significant uh, potential um, infusion of new car trips coming into that area. Um, through housing, that would be sited right there, that would have to use that road. That, that's what I was saying. It wasn't about, you know, my district, my roads. It's not where I was going. Uh, yeah, I would just, a uh, couple
18: of points. With respect to the reserve policy, to re- react to that, the reserve policy that's costing us the 1.7 or something like that to, to put aside, is no less of a policy than our PCI being at 67. And, you know, the, we shouldn't be prioritizing or saying, this policy we will pay attention to, this one we can ignore. The, having a PCI target of 67, it doesn't mean that because it's difficult we should uh, abandon it, unless we want to change that PCI target. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to, uh, with uh, the bollards question, I don't know if there's examples internationally of um, sort of more attractive ones. The ones especially on Calle Real that you were talking about, they are ugly. It, it just looks like the road is always under construction. And I don't know if there are options out there. And I don't see people using it much either. That's rarely in use. But if there are alternatives that are available that are sort of more I don't know, like swaying swaying um, plants or something. <laughs>
7: Color them. Great yeah, they, they
18: colors. They could be and, and
7: <laughs> Council
16: ring-like. Member Kasdan, um, we're looking at all options for road diets and using Vision Zero. So there are other alternatives that we can use, like parked cars, then bike lanes. So we'll be reviewing several different options for that.
18: Well, let me Yeah, okay. I I just wanted to, I like the idea of class four bike lanes a lot. I think they have a real promise and they're especially potentially important for e-bikes. You know, where we have e-bikes, it might be that that's a lane where they should be going and it's a way to kind of figure out, rather than be in the the road, rather than be on the sidewalk, that might be a good place for them. But anyway, just uh, to think about. Thank you.
0: I also uh, would like to comment on the fact that uh, moving forward, I think we, you know, if we're truly going to be forward thinking, we need to really anticipate uh, the roadways where um, the proposed housing are coming. You know, a lot of housing coming all around us. So um, we've got to keep an eye out and really you know, evaluate that and, um, and plan for that. See no more speakers please come on up
22: madam mayor and members of the council i i see you in the back of your minds wrestling wrestling with we got to figure out this this delta and the money and and what do we do about that um may, may i share some something that i saw from from another agency that i thought well that was pretty clever you know there's the typical ways to that I've seen uh, road projects being funded um, using the gas tax and then the supplemental funds that will come in will come from sales tax measures or bonds or, um, or using the sales tax measure and, and bonding against the sales tax measure to get that infusion of money that council member Kasdan was, was um, talking about. But I saw something the other day where a council said, we're, we're really behind. We're not spending the kind of money that we need to spend. We don't know where to get the money. How about as a council, we agree to a percentage of whatever is left over in our budget that's at the end of the year, we'll take a percentage. And they took 25% of that excess funds and um this is a city that only was spending a million dollars a year that's all they had and that was that was everything that they could put towards it and it actually gave them an additional six hundred thousand dollars and so it was a, it was a wonderful um infusion into their road system and and made it made a difference but the, i i had never seen any anyone do that and i'm just throw that out there as a suggestion, something to consider, that that there's clever ways to, to use excess funds, and, and so I just share that with you.
0: Thank you for that, thank you. Well, I'm ready to make a
8: motion. Madam yes. Mayor, I had one final comment. Sure. Um, I also believe the staff did a great job on the report, the information, the PowerPoint, and a commitment, the next step for us uh, in the spirit of transparency, and because you get so many questions from your constituents about the roads. Those are then passed on to us, and then it's quite a quite a task, actually, to keep getting that information out there. You might recall a year ago the request was made, hey, can we do better on putting some of this information online? So we wanted to go live first with these maps that were shared today, the map showing the condition of the roads, and then the ones you saw that go back five years, I think till t- 2017. Uh, it is our intention to have a, a page on the Public Works uh, portion of the website where that information is up, and then we can keep adding to it as we go So that in the future when as these questions come in we can tell people hey look at this website It'll show you when your when your streets coming up so I just wanted to add that that was that was brought up a year ago and It's our commitment to complete that and put those maps online and have a nice page devoted to the paving, paving Could, program
0: might it be possible for maybe um, Kelly Hoover to put something out in the Monarch Press um, to direct people to that page for, with, if they want to look at that. Okay, All right. Okay, I think we're ready for a motion.
3: All right. Uh, well, I'll move that we uh, ad- uh, adopt staff, staff recommendation to approve plans and specifications for the 2023 pavement rehabilitation project and authorize staff to advertise a notice inviting construction bids for the 2023 pavement rehabilitation project.
14: I'll second?
0: <laughs> Any more discussion? Okay. Roll call vote.
1: Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Councilmember Richards? Yes. Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes Martin. Aye. And Mayor Perotti? Aye.
0: Ayes have it. It's unanimous. All right. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Do we let's see have any council um, comments? Oh, no? Sorry. Any council comments? No? James is thinking about it. I know like, like, Do you have any council
7: comments?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, any more to say? City Manager or Megan Garibaldi? City Attorney?
2: No report, Madam Mayor. Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year. All right. Meeting adjourned. Thank you, everyone.